Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. What is going on, everybody? This is episode 141. Thank you for joining us on this wonderful Monday night. This episode is presented by Cosmic DG. Go check out everything Cosmic over at CosmicDG.com. They help uh, tournament directors run events, make money actually while running the event. And they have a ton of cool stuff on their store. So always appreciate the support from them. Don't forget to check it out at CosmicDG.com. Matt, you are remote. I'm not remote. Evan is not remote. And Ben's not here. We're always remote. Every single one of us yeah. is always remote. But this is not the Nick and Matt Show studio that we've come to grow and love. I am in Detroit. Um, work trip. And then in turn, Ben said, he's out. And I said, "What are we're just going to cancel. And then we said, no, for the listeners. <laughs> we'll figure it out. So you're not going to have all the bells and whistles, literally. But uh, we will have an interview with JK tonight, Juliana mm-hmm. Corver, five-time world champion. And if it gets crazy, you guys just take over and I'll just start doing the feverish, what people imagine Stat Mando does. Remember the whole Ganon Burke? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll just be doing that back here off camera. But uh, let's see. Let's see how it goes tonight. Um, mm-hmm. I can't see the chat tonight because I have too many windows on my laptop in a hotel. so I've got the chat on lock tonight. Speaking just, of the chat, I already have a decent amount of people watching, but just a quick little shout-out to uh, Braden Sides. He won another A-tier this weekend, Tennessee State Disc Golf Championships. He also won the Lake Marshall Open, which I was able to attend. Met him very briefly, but uh, shout-out to him. Badass weekends. I'm sure Evan will give more of a take on that a little later. It, yeah, I had a whole a whole segment on that, but uh, we can either he's, get into it now. He's in the chat or... right now. You know, you gotta, oh, you gotta okay. shout it out when well, they're in the chat. Braden already knows what I'm gonna say too. I think he shared our Instagram story, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm just gonna share what we had in there. Not too much more information, but uh, when we get to the recap, I will share all that good stuff. Awesome. Um, so yeah, we got JK. I am texting Adam Hammis like as we speak right now. There is a small possibility he's able to join as we know Monday shows live. A little bit tough because players are just leaving after whatever they just did over the weekend, which is usually mm-hmm. playing. <laughs> They're traveling to the next event, mm-hmm. and he's a winner. But he just texted me and said he's in the passenger seat. Nick, he let's see. Ooh. Oh, the bubbles popped up. I can't say live what he's saying yet, but we'll we'll see. There's a possibility. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Besides that, people like us to get right into the disc golf talk, and um, so we'll do that. But before, right before, shout out to um some of our listeners this week sending us messages saying like love the show thank you it's one of my favorites or it is my favorite if that's you we totally appreciate that love uh means a lot mm-hmm. uh we appreciate youtube comments and chats but man when people reach out on purpose to let us know they appreciate it man that goes a long way so appreciate you the disc golf community um adam says he can join <laughs> and he says as everybody Sorry. does uh, I'm not sure how good my service will be. <laughs> that's, we know. that's the dice that we roll every single week. So here, this is a live show. Here's how this is going to work. I have to do a few things on the computer. So I'm going to let Evan or you kind of take it away. But Evan's mm-hmm. probably going to give us a recap. So let's, if you're ready, we'll just jump right into that. Yeah, I'm good to go with this. Uh, hey, Nick, if you have any comments you want to say on the recap, I'm giving um, you full uh, 
full uh, what am i even trying to say here full uh, approval to cut me off and talk about thank it because i got a lot I'll, of stuff I was gonna here say, i'll interrupt you if i need to i as much as i love talking sometimes i don't yeah. want to talk for five minutes straight about a recap because yeah. i got too many good things that i'm trying to get to here uh let's start off with the portland open that was the biggest event of the weekend the first time we have seen an elite plus event uh we had some discussion about what is an elite a plus event how do the points work in the words of ben i'm just going to say quote more points uh, if we want to talk about it later, I'll dive into it. Uh, but that's as simple as that. The winner gets 150 disc golf pro tour points, uh, compared to uh, 100 for a normal lead event. It's the same amount of a major, but it's grouped with the elite events. That's kind of the quick summary. Kristen Tatar takes it down in FPO. It's her fifth win on the season from majors, elite and silver events. She now has five wins from eight starts. That's 63%. Uh, incredible. It is only the ninth best win percentage we have seen uh, from tour events uh, in a single season when you have a minimum of five starts in a season, but it's the best of anyone since 2017 when Paige Pierce won 14 out of 19 at 78%. Of course, a lot of the season left, but uh, Kristen Tadar putting on an incredible pace as we know her to do. Uh, Sayananda gets a second place finish. It's her first ever elite or major podium. Uh, her previous best was seventh at 2022 U.S. Women's, but she of course has the silver win earlier this year down in texas um at the end of open at texas states and then also had a podium uh last weekend at the cascade challenge or the weekend before i don't know i will refer to two weekends ago maybe uh and she is now fifth in the statment of power rankings but she's still 20th in the official rankings i did want to mention that just because that's more of a stable system so she's working her way up own scoggins finishes on the podium yet again that's her 10th of the season uh, in just MPO, sorry, just an FPO on tour. Uh, she's only a week removed from an FP40 major victory uh, at Tim Selinski's U.S. Masters. Uh, what we know, and a lot of people question her on this long course, but I have some thoughts that we can get to later when we uh, recap the course. Uh, also tied with Owen Scoggins in third place is another Masters player, Juliana Corver. We'll have her on the show later today. She won the Tim Selinski U.S. Masters uh, the weekend before in FP50. So we saw the FP40 winner and the FP50 winner both get podiums in FPO at an Elite Plus event. Uh, that's I think there's so much to that, and I have some more Juliana Corver stats I want to get to. Uh, but Nick, I like. Do you have any thoughts on two Masters players, two Masters winners getting and on the especially podium? Especially two players who don't necessarily we don't consider them elite distance players. They are just very good at what they do when it is controlling shots and hitting putts. Juliana not as much in the putting category compared to what we would say with Own, but Juliana her shots were very well hit on the uh, drives and upshots she was dialed in in those and she was making putts more so than I think we have kind of seen in the past and this was something that we've talked about Juliana you know when she kind of took a little hiatus from the game was a lot of the putting struggles that she was having but was able to just stay in the fairway and make those clean up shots a very clean drive she was in the same distance I remember watching hole 18 that good drive she was the first one and she just let out a great rip so um, definitely pretty awesome to see those two players and own has just been having an incredible season, whether it's on a longer course or a shorter course, she's just doing incredible course record final round 10 down, which I think beat the previous course record by three strokes is pretty freaking awesome. So I'm back. Did you miss me? We did. <laughs> Uh, very I, quiet. Yeah, we'll see. It's very quiet. We'll see. Um, that's a nice compliment. I think I'm not sure. Uh, we'll see if Adam jumps into our green room here soon. If not, we'll just keep going. But you asked about Juliana. 
Mm-hmm. And a question came up during um, the rounds. And, you know, I ask questions and then I get shot down by Stat Mando saying, Matt, you're way off. Here's the numbers. So I hope that happens. But what do you think? Uh, what am I missing when I ask this question? Is this the most impressive performance by ever by someone from that generation of golfer? Now, that's kind of really generic, kind of <laughs> that generation. Um, but add in Ken Climo or anybody else. And I'm talking today, like let's say this season or last. Uh, has there ever been a performance this good? And had she taken it down, would there have been any question? I mean, we've think? seen, yeah, we've seen other Masters players do incredibly well at a lot of big events. I mean, I, I don't, don't necessarily exactly... mean Masters. Necess- mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's that generation, but I just yeah. mean like those who came up. She's a five-time world champion, took mm-hmm. almost 15 years off. That's kind of what I mean. So like, yeah. does anything stand out to you? Well, I think just kind of her come back into the game. And it was funny, too, because I think about a month or two ago, there was an article talking about how, you know, this five-time world champion was going to take more kind of a step back. Juliana does a lot of commentary nowadays. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. is involved in kind of the media outset of disc golf right now. And um, But to still come back and have great events like this is pretty stellar in and of itself. And like I said, I will just keep saying it throughout the night, though, on a course like this, where we don't really look at her as one of those power players, so to have the outcome that she did on a course like this is, like I said, pretty awesome in and of itself. Was that the FPO recap, Evan? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention that Juliana Corver has, now has a podium in FPO Elite and Major events each of the last three seasons. She took a gap from playing FPO uh, events on tour. She was playing some local ones and started playing some Masters, but took a gap from 2006 until 2021 from FPO elite and major events like 15 years without playing any events. She was incredibly dominant up until 2006 um, and then just didn't play. And now she has a podium each of the last three seasons. I think it's really incredible. Uh, And that's really, that's all I got from FPO. If we want to move on. Well, the reason I'm asking is because we got Adam Hammes in the green room and I just think it'd be worth our time to get him in. He's uh, giving us his time and we can catch up with more of the recap uh, when we drop him. If that's cool. That sounds great. All right, let's go ahead and give this a try. I don't have the cool music tonight, Adam, because I'm uh, in Detroit and I am remote and I'm like remoting everywhere, everything I'm doing. And you're remote, you're driving. The world's a crazy place. But let's bring in Adam uh, like this. Three, two, one. Boom. There he is. Just like that. Magic. What's up, Adam? How are we doing? Good. How about yourself? You feeling high on life right now? A little bit. Me and Anthony are currently driving to Montana for the uh, Missoula tournament. Zootown. How how far is the drive? Yeah, it's about, from Portland, it was like eight hours. Um, We have like four and a half half left. Yeah, that's not terrible. Not too bad. You're not the one driving. No, driving is okay sometimes, but but Adam, I, I had to do some in some, in some social media stuff, so I put Anthony behind the wheel. Good go. point, dude. Uh, when you when you win something, this is your second time elite, at least. Um, sorry, what did I miss? Masters Cup in 2021 Thank you. and Thank the you. Open, and it was then an elite. I also got to stop, and we can't forget about Resistance Disc, the silver event in 2021 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I was trying to classify elite, but they reclassified the yes. other. Now, anyways, long story short, every time you win, what goes through your mind of like, hey, I got to capitalize on this? Is it things like social media, sponsors, podcasts, or do you not even think about any of it? 
Um, I haven't really thought about it much since since yesterday. I'm starting to slowly respond to all the text messages and Instagram DMs and comments, trying to like as many as I can and just engage. Um, but no, I mean, jumping on the Nick and Matt show is good and, and uh, maybe Smashbox and whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take them all in. We appreciate yeah. it, Adam. We appreciate it. Um, so from your perspective, and I think I might have seen a comment somewhere or a post you just made, literally, you said something about like stressful moments. How did this tournament play out for you in a scale of like one to 10 stress related? I mean, you've had a lot of tournaments, but this one's got to be pretty high. Uh, I was definitely a 10. Um, Goose just kept birdie and he couldn't, there, there was no stopping him. As soon as I had two pars, he, you know, would get two birdies and tie it up. And then, um, he had the unfortunate spit out, so I had one stroke lead going into 17, and uh, I bogeyed. I did not get up and down from a pretty, pretty simple spot, and I gave him two, and I counted myself out. A lot of people did. My grandpa actually texted me and said, we're really proud of you. Like, move on to the next one and stuff like that, and then he just sent a text <laughs> right after. It was like, oh, wait, disregard that last text. Like, oh, my gosh, you won. So... <laughs> I think the whole world counted me out, especially after that roller that went OB on 18. And I don't know, make that make that putt. And I don't really remember. I kind of blacked out for that putt. Did you did you count yourself out after that roller attempt? Oh, absolutely. I got I was sitting in the grass with my arms in my head. I don't know. I was just it was I thought it was done. I didn't think there was any chance that Goose would not get up and down. Mm-hmm. Oh. What a clutch moment, though. I, I like the door was cracked open and you had to do it. Those are the moments we live for in sports. And I'll remember that. This will go down and be talked about in disc golf when those moments get talked about. So that's awesome, man. When you decided to throw that roller, did you think roller was the best play to get the best putt? Or were you thinking that's the best way to get up there? And if I go OB, that's okay. Thinking kind of like Simon last year, he went OB as well, but put the pressure on Garrett and Simon was able to walk away with the victory. Um, the, yeah, the, I think I was like, probably like 430 out, 450 out somewhere in there. And the wind was swirling. It got pretty windy at the end there. Um, so I mean, my roller game all week was pretty solid. So I was like, yeah, the roller is probably gonna be my best bet to, you know, at least have a chance. If it goes OB, it's going to go OB right. Um, and the flex shot just seems too hard in that situation. I didn't really like the angle and you know, the wind wasn't good at all. So I just went with the roller, and it came out of my hand, pulled and took, uh, turned over, and it just wasn't good at all. Um, it, it was it was very far off of what I was trying to do. Um, I was luck, luckily, it rolled far enough to get a putt. And yeah, it was kind of a toss-up on what shot to throw there. And then making the putt, you have those feelings afterwards where it's like, okay, now I just made that. I got the birdie still. I'm putting the pressure on. And then watching Aaron eventually take a par on the hole, now you guys are going into a sudden death playoff. What is kind of your mentality going into that? Um, as soon as we missed that putt low, obviously I knew the playoff was about to happen. Um, I, I walked right to the score tent with my head down. I didn't look at anyone. I didn't acknowledge anything. Um, and I walked straight to hole one. Same thing, head down. Didn't didn't look at anyone. Didn't No fist bumps, nothing. Went straight to hole one with the same, you know, mentality. There's playoff holes. You got you to gotta throw a good tee shot and get up and down. You have to birdie because mm-hmm. – if you par, you're going to lose. So, yeah, I just kept my head in it and went to hole one and did what I had to do. Mm. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was epic. Uh, we were all watching it. I I'm not gonna say names, and if my kids are watching live at home right now, I don't want to embarrass them. But I, so I'll just say general. I think there was a lot of emotions, literally like tears on the line with these players at the top of this event. You guys are putting on a show. Um, how did you? You talked about the unfortunate spit out. Hey, just give us a quick response. What do you think about baskets in general? Like. Should there be a standard? Do you think that was like a basket issue or a putt issue? Like, how did you feel that putt on 16 for Aaron? Um, it, it's a putt that should never come back out. Um, those baskets probably shouldn't be um, disc golf pro tour standard. Um, I think we can do a little bit better. Um, it is the title sponsor, and they get to choose what basket goes in. And us players have to deal with it. So at the end of the day, we're all putting on them, and we all have to, you know, use them. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't personally think that the Disco Pro Tour should use those as a standard basket. Um, maybe hopefully someday we can get a standardized basket that's just one model, and we see it at every single event. We don't have to put on three or four different companies' baskets. I think we're actually going to talk about that later in the show, but thanks for your response there. Hey, and speaking of, did you have any putts? I didn't see every putt of the whole tournament. Did you have any come out? I did not have any spit outs this week. Okay. Surprising. Awesome. Surprising, he says. Uh, <laughs> talk, to us, talk to us a little bit of just about the courses in general. I mean, Glendivere is a place that we've been the last couple of years, but now they open it up into kind of, I think, a Glendivere East and a Glendivere West, two different courses on the same property. What do you think about the changes going into this year? Um, I thought they were great. Um, the first, first course we played was much longer, much more difficult. Um, there was 630-foot par threes out there. It felt like every hole is a bonus birdie. So, um, you know, three under wasn't a bad round out there. You know, that's what I shot in round two, and I still came back and won the tournament. Um, but the other course is uh, amazing. Um, that's the one I prefer. It's the most fun. It's the most fair. Um, I think most of the field has a pretty good chance, you know, of scoring – well on it you know close to double digits if not a little bit less um yeah it just sets up a little nicer for us and i think 95 percent of the field would say they liked uh the second course we play a little bit more yeah, Either way, seeing... they're, they're both very very well designed and there's a lot of very fair holes ob and mandos were placed in very good spots bunkers it makes you think it's uh it's not an easy course of course it's and we've kind of seen the pro tour at certain events kind of go into this more open style golf course, you know, disc golf courses that we're playing on right now. Do you like that? I mean, you're a player who's won the Santa Cruz Master Cup and Maple Hill, two more defined disc golf courses. Now picking up a big win on a golf course. What is this? I mean, do you enjoy playing these kind of courses if they are designed well, or do you still prefer the woods? Um, obviously, I still prefer the woods um, a little bit more for disc golf. That's what I grew up on throwing discs in the woods is more fun when you're you know, forced to throw a specific shot shape. Um, but courses like Glendivere, I mean, if, when they design, when the Disco Pro Tour designs, you know, a good ball golf course for us, um, they're really fun. Glendivere especially. I can't think of a better ball golf disc golf course on tour or in the country. Um, it is probably the best, best facility for, for disc golf. And now is from, that, what, one more real quick, Matt. Now, is that based on mainly just the actual property in and of itself, the way that it was designed? But adding in, you were saying they added in Mandos. Um, do the Mandos kind of help out making the course play a specific way? Um, yes, it keeps keeps us in the keeps it like a general fairway. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple holes where you could go, you know, four or five hundred feet straight left and not be punished. 
And they just put a couple of mandos in there to keep you honest and keep you in the middle. So added a little extra difficulty. And I think, you know, I don't, I didn't see a mando. I didn't like out there. They're all pretty good. Nice. Yeah. So I was going to say from the fans perspective, Adam was saying how nice the course was, but from the fans perspective, it's equally as I, I think as fun to watch. It looks beautiful. It doesn't feel like you're out in a golf course, but it kind of has this perfect hybrid. Um, I saw yeah. somebody post, I think, I think it was Anthon. I'm just going to throw his name out there. He said something about this is like a bomber's course. Like you have to throw far. I think he, he did give credit to the views and it's an amazing property, but he said like, that's who this was for. You are a far thrower. We've seen it. We've seen you bomb some out there and you, I think we rank you in that class. Do you feel that way? Like it's like, that's who the course was built for. Uh, distance, distance and accuracy is definitely, a, definitely an advantage out here. Um, when you can throw, you know, fairway drivers where some people might be throwing a distance driver. Um, definitely on the first course, uh, distance is, is, was key. Um, I mean, there was a 630 foot par three and, uh, even Anthony was having trouble putting him in the circle in practice and just <laughs> in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, it, even the, the furthest thrower in the world isn't, isn't reaching some of those holes. So I would say definitely an advantage on the first course, second course, not so much, but you know, accuracy at 450 was, is probably the, was the ticket out there. Wow. You heard it here. Furthest thrower in the world, Anthony Barella. I mean, we didn't make that take, but Adam did. So we'll let that one roll. Maybe we'll retitle our, uh, our, our episode tonight to say longest thrower in the world joins the show driving. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Evan, you got anything? Yeah, I, Adam, I wanted to, oh, did we lose him? Um, temporarily it has gone white and I, he did drop, but I bet you he tries to get back in. We'll see. All right. Well, we'll hold off on a second. Oh, oh I can hear him. Let's see. Let's see. Um, this is, Okay, well, we got one more question for you from Evan, I think. All right, Adam, uh, your 2021 okay. was spectacular. Like we said, you got two elite wins and a silver. Uh, I'm looking at like your, your scoring, and you were averaging like 7.7 .7 birdies per round. But then let's talk about 2022. You struggled a little bit more, uh, less birdies. You're averaging, uh, I, I think you finished in the top, you finished outside the top 20 more often than you finished inside the top 20. But then we come into this season. And you have a, you know, a, a good tournament at Waco. Unfortunately, didn't get the win. But then you come out to Portland and you get the win. How does 2023 compare feel compared to 2022, which felt compared to 2021? Um, it's definitely more of a grind. Um, you know, the competition's gotten significantly stiffer in two years. Uh, obviously, those 2021 wins were not easy. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's surreal, you know you have two wins and life's moving really fast and then it slows down. You go, you don't have a win for a while. Then you win again. You're back on top. It's, um, it's crazy. It, it, I don't really know what to feel yet. Um, we still have a long season ahead. I can't really compare this season to that 2021 season yet. Um, but hopefully I can towards the end of the year, if I can pick up another win. Which one do you think in your head is a bigger win? The elite plus event at the Portland open or the Maple Hill MVP open? I got to say this new uh, Elite Plus event. That's the way it goes down. Feel bigger. Uh, he feels like it's a little bigger. We're catching you there, Adam, but you are breaking up um, just a little bit. We heard that he think it's bigger. I think we'll get one more sentence out of you. So if you want to say anything before you go, we'll let you go, but it's been good. 
no, I mean, we got this four-hour drive left, and uh, I appreciate you guys letting me jump on the call quick. Hopefully, the service was okay. It was. Uh, thanks for all the questions. Yeah, absolutely. Good for the most part. Absolutely. Ask, uh, ask just really quick. Ask AB how he thinks his tour is going so far this year. Say that again. Sorry. Ask AB how he's enjoying the tour so far this year. Does he, you know, feel like he's having a good season? Just, you know, big switch to disc craft this year. Ask him a little bit about that. AB, how are you feeling? Um, this season's gone pretty well for me, but I just haven't got a win yet, and that's that will be the cream of the crop when I get a win. All right, that's all hey, looking forward that's to all it. Looking for this is Matt. I know you're driving, and I picked you to win. What was two events ago? OTB? No, it was the silver. Cascade challenge? Yes, thank you. I picked you, man. You you didn't underperform too bad. <laughs> you did pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just all about stringing together four, three or four good rounds in a row. I just always sneak in that 10, 20 round that makes me lose my two or three every week. So, well, I guess I lost my nine this week, but. Sorry. <laughs> Four well, rounds, it's tougher, you know. Well, again, thank you guys for joining. Safe travels for sure, and we'll catch up when you guys are back up here for the playoff event at Maple Hill. Awesome. Right. I can't wait. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Nick. Thank All you. Right, peace out. Peace out. Bye. All right. So not you I'm Evan, Yeah, not me. <laughs> <laughs> the Nick and Matt show plus Evan bringing all the yeah, cool stuff. That's all that good. I feel Evan, the love in other ways. Yeah, I was just going to say, usually when people talk about the Nick and Matt show, to me, they're like, so how'd you get Evan? And he's really made the show something special. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, so it's always nice. Hey, remember, if you're the the main host or the uh, the two main hosts, you always get the the least amount of love. The That's why Ben gets the most love. I yeah. like a little bit more. And then everyone has to find a reason to hate on the people who talk the most. So yeah. I stay quiet just enough. So people generally like me and there's, it's only rarely that someone's like, ah, oh, man, that guy with the stats sucks. Yeah. Is yeah. that how it works? I guess I have a, mute oh my God, yeah. I'll just like mute my microphone and maybe people it's always are, the main, like it, it, any podcast, any show, it's always the, the main person who's doing all the talking that people just hate. All right. Well, we'll just get our subscriber count through the roof. Then I'll just check out. Peace out. Some of you are like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, no, I made the show. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, OK, so I saw in the chat someone's like, hey, they're advertising guests that aren't coming on. No, we actually didn't advertise a guest that is coming on. Uh, I mean, we had Adam on and that was unadvertised. We are going to actually have on Juliana Corver as we did advertise. So that's mm -hmm. cool. Uh, you got a bonus guest in there. Um, JK. I don't think I'll call her that to her face. Maybe. I don't know. We throw JK putters at home, but Juliana Corver will be on in approximately 40 minutes. Yeah. With that being said, I think there was a lot of interesting things we heard from Adam, but let's get back to the recap. I think you can jump over and finish that up and then we can take more topics. Yeah. Let's stick on Adam. Like we were kind of saying in the intro, it's his third elite win. Uh, had masters cup and MVP open in 2021. Uh, I think interesting enough, masters cup was a PDGA national tour in the last year. Those existed uh, MVP open being a, a disc golf pro tour elite event. He also, like I said, has a disc golf pro tour silver win. And now he has a disc golf pro tour elite plus win. the only MPL player to ever have a disc golf pro tour elite plus win. Of course, the caveat being this was the first, yeah. uh, but that's, that's really cool. He has only one of each. Uh, I, I, I also like, this is a kind of a deeper poll. Uh, he's from Wisconsin landlocked state, although has beautiful lakes and whatnot. Uh, 
he has only won on states that border the ocean twice in Oregon, once in California, once in Massachusetts. Yeah. So he's going to win like USDGC next or I don't uh, somewhere in North Carolina. I don't know what else we got left. Uh, not Worlds in Vermont. That's landlocked. So sorry, Adam, you have no chance. Uh, that's, of course, a joke. I'm sure he can win anywhere. Um, <laughs> I did want to cover uh, a little bit more into his 2021 season. He uh, top 20 percent, uh, 77 percent of the time. Uh, his average rating was uh, 1037 across uh, major elite and silver events. Jumped to 2022. He was at 45% uh, top 20s, and his average round rating dropped to 1027. So 10 rating points worse, and his top 20%, uh, about 30% uh, worse. Uh, now he's rebounded uh, a little bit. He's up to 55% and uh, 1029. We have seen ratings uh, be a little bit less, it feels like. And like Adam was saying, it's a lot harder to finish well on the tour with how competitive it is. Uh, I, he was one of the main people that talked about an underwhelming 2022. I didn't want to quite word it that way, um, but I'm glad he you know answered in the way he did uh, and he's been looking really solid this year on what is an absolutely crowded uh, disc golf pro tour field uh going down the leaderboard i mean we got to mention goose aaron gossage went to a playoff um this is aaron gossage's second playoff of his career i think both just heartbreaking losses with worlds last year uh and now portland open mentioned a couple spit outs but i think the most notable part was he had the lead going into hole 18 had about 180 feet i would guess maybe 200 uh one tree in his way uh, uphill basket but an elevated uh pole uh, he goes with the forehand, which people question because there's a tree on the left side. Ends up being like 40 to 50 feet short, I would guess. I don't know the exact number. Uh, Adam Hammes has to putts first. He puts the pressure on because he made the putt. If Aaron Gossage made this putt, he would go on to win. If he missed it and then got the next one, it would go to playoff. Of course, we know that's what happened because Aaron Gossage missed that putt, unfortunately. It was low by like at least a foot, it looked like. Um, and then we go to a playoff hole, and it was one. It went two holes, one hole. I think, I think it was two holes. Was it oh two? Oh my goodness! I'm already forgetting. No, was, it was it was one hole. It was the first hole. Okay, it was a par four. That's what I thought. Yeah. All right, all right. Thanks. I I was busy doing so many stats, so I honestly like don't remember too much. Just knowing what's happened and then coming up with stuff. Um, but he had a he had a tough putt, of course. You know, circle two, uh, look for the tie because Hamas was a little bit better position, I believe, and he didn't get that one either. It was a tough putting weekend, but I. I'm not here to knock Aaron Gossage because he's putting himself in the position to possibly win. And that's what you need to do in today's game. Uh, I, I think we've seen a lot of heartbreaking losses and you can include OTB open last year or just a couple weeks ago or a month ago as another one where she, he could have won and it just fell out of his fingertips. Um, but I, I think I've heard the, uh, um, the uh, what am I trying to say? The comparison to Eagle man in the late 2010s where he was, looking absolutely incredible was in positions to win and just couldn't do it uh faltering in the in the final round i think this is kind of similar thing he gossage is putting himself in the position to win he's just not getting it done uh but he's building experience and he's an incredible player i have no doubt aaron gossage will win and out of players who haven't gotten a win yet you still got to pick him as the next to win um if you guys have any thoughts on gossage yeah so during the live stream i have the benefit of watching with uh my sons and they're starting to bring their own takes on things. And we asked, like, is this the player that you want to be taking a clutch putt at the end of a playoff or going into hole 18? Like, is this the player? And everyone's like, no, <laughs> like Gossage right now. It's it's not. I don't feel like this is a question we always ask in these scenarios. Was it a choke? Um, I feel like 
if I had to say yes or no, I'm only going partial choke because I feel like 18 was not like a choke. I feel like the grass really held it a lot harder than he thought it would. I don't think that was a choke play. The putt you could say maybe was, but that's not a, should it be a nine out of 10 putt? Yeah, but it's not a gimme putt. It's elevated. I don't think it was full choke. Um, but anyways, I don't, do you have any thoughts on it, Nick, for as far as Aaron goes? I, I think he is, he wants to win. Like he's close. Like all these guys want to, but win. I mean, and he's I know close. He's, yeah. And he's in, he's been in such a position this year, a couple times now. I mean, look at it, OTB open. He was in a great battle with Emerson Keith and then just kind of fell off the last six or seven holes or so. Um, and mainly due to the putting Aaron's one of the best throwers in the world has an incredible forehand. It's powerful. He's accurate. Um, but coming down the stretch, those little shots that you should feel like you make nine times out of 10, get that much harder when there's a lot on the line right there. I mean, look at Coriolis last year at the MVP Open. Was in a great position to get up and down on hole 18. Throws it too hard. Goes out of bounds. Simon wins from the chase guard. I mean, you put these players in these pressure moments. You kind of hope that Aaron's only going to get better from this and learning from these mistakes that, you know, he's putting himself in the opportunity, which every other player in the world would say, I would love to just be in that scenario at all. And Aaron is consistently doing it. He's going to pop off one of these wins soon. I would say in in the 2023 season. I would agree with that. And I, I to make the comparison though with Corey Ellis's uh, MVP Open upshot that he threw too hard and went OB. I think that was a tougher shot than what Gossage had to yeah. do here. It, yeah. Gossage was a little bit further out, well, yeah, went, but yeah. I think uh, much less scary OB, much more open. It is mm-hmm. an elevated basket, but. When you see Gosses line up for that, you're just like, obviously the pressure's high, and you know that is a, a is that's all the pressure. That's that's mm-hmm. that's what makes the shot hard. If Gossage goes back to that exact spot, and you're like, hey, here's 20, 20 discs, like park the hole. Like I think he would do it twenty times. I really mm-hmm. do. Uh, yeah. It's just obviously the pressure's an area. And same with Ellis, he might have made that MVP open shot, but that is a much tougher shot. But yeah. To move on with Corey Ellis, he finishes third. He was right there in the thick of things. It was a three-way race, pretty much just between those two for the final four or five holes. Uh, Corey Ellis uh, had a chance. He threw a roller when OB a little bit early. He threw a roller on his second shot, just like Hammes did on the uh, final hole. He went OB a little bit earlier, pretty much took him out of it. He did not go onto that playoff, but still had an incredible performance. Uh, this is Ellis's fifth podium in the last three seasons, 2021, 2022, and now this current season. Uh, that's tied with Aaron Gossage, actually, for the second most podiums uh, in that time frame without a win. The player with the most podiums without a win in that stretch is Kevin Jones, who only has one more at six. Kevin Jones, of course, has wins in the past, winning 2021 tour championship and uh three other elite and silver wins uh in mm-hmm. his career but i think that's really notable that ellis and gossage now are uh, they're they're the next up who haven't gotten a win i think mm-hmm. uh in mpo uh further down the leaderboard uh just barely james proctor is on the uh final round lead card with them he finishes fifth his 14th top 10 on tour for majors elite and silver um his first ever top 10 was at Masters Cup in 2015 before the Disc Golf Pro Tour even started. Uh, he's never had more than two in a single season until this year, and he now has six in this season. Uh, and five of those are at elite events, so it's not like I'm, I'm making this uh, uh, inflated stat because of Silvers. He only has one top 10 in Silvers out of those. Um, but I think the biggest name we'll have to talk about uh, besides these is Nate Sexton uh, finishing 62nd and his cash streak is now over. He missed the cut, had no chance at cash the final day. Uh, we knew this was coming soon. It, we, yeah. it was, he was holding it on and kept on pushing it back. And we're like, it's going to crack one of these days. Yeah. Uh, he's been playing a few uh, less events uh, lately. 
but I have some didn't stats to recently, go for it. Didn't we recently ask, like, if we thought, I think it was as a show, each of us answered, did we think, like, he was going to even make podium, like, the rest of the year from here yeah. on out? And I think some of us were a little bit, I, maybe it was me, I was like, I don't think so. Um, mm. I did not know it was going to miss cash at Portland open, but anyways, that is Epic. He made a post about it on social media that obviously says he's very proud of what he's accomplished. Um, it's not like disc golf is over for him because of this. It was, it was a a pride thing. Yeah. It was, well, he did talk about that last interview we had. He's like, there's a time and a place where you just do it. But anyways, I think we're still going to see a lot out of him but this was a proud, a proud thing that he had to his name. And now he still has, and quite frankly, probably will always have. I, I don't think this can be matched and let me get into the numbers. Then uh, I shout out to Carl. He put this all together before uh, round three, when it was becoming a big narrative, uh, Carl, he might be in the live chat. If he is, everyone say hi to him. If not, he'll probably be listening on a post, uh, but from all PGA events, it ended up being 264 events straight. This is continuous from March, 2008. That's 15 years and change. Uh, we, we have seen some longer climbo had a longer streak, I believe, although data is a little bit inconsistent because some events just didn't report cash at all even though climb moment of one or still finished top 40 percent um but there's likely going to be higher from all pdga events but still 264 since parch 2008 uh wild if we do majors elite and silver with including the tour championship which does give everyone cash as far as we know uh some years are a little bit inconsistent uh, 122 events uh that started also in may 2000 that started back in may 2005 he hadn't missed in a uh on tour one since beaver state fling was the start of that streak in 2005 he missed some non-pdga ones in between so that's why his pdga streak started a little bit later if we're just going to do standard elite and major so that excludes the tour championship which pretty much pays out everyone who plays it it's 117 straight events uh the new active record you guys might have seen us post about it or hear uh I think the uh, DGN might have been talking about it, but can you guys guess who has the current MPO active streak? Wait. Longest uh, active streak. Standard Stat- eight majors. Statmando has social media? What? Oh, my goodness. People, I've been missing out. Hopefully you haven't. Go check out Statmando. They do post incredible stuff that everybody rips off and shares everywhere, um, which is cool for you. Uh, so who? Uh, Nick, who do you think? So who currently now has the... Longest nice active cash streak from standard elite and majors. Gannon Burr. This is just at all, like in all of disc golf or current? Uh, current active streaks. Okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Gannon. Uh, your guess too, Matt? Well, I saw some posts, but I think there might have been one above it. I feel like there was one above it, but yeah. I'm not, yeah. Because I think it said Nate at the time was 100%, and then Kale was like 99.9. Okay, so you saw something a little bit different. That was just the best cash rate. So you could have missed cash in the middle uh, of it. Well, yeah, because it was like 99 or 98. Uh, It's it's someone – Kind of like it makes sense, but it's not who you'd guess. It's oh, Joel on, Freeman. Oh, oh that's sorry, right. Nick. Sorry. Sorry. I, I was gonna that. say, let me look on the list, but then at the same time, Joel's not on there, so I wouldn't have guessed. I him, so it's still yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Joel's. Uh, I mean, it's a volume stat to get that percentage, and Joel's just hasn't played enough. So even if like Paul McBeth, he's played almost two hundred now. If he missed cash twice, that's once out of every hundred. If Joel Freeman, I guess it would be hundred percent. So I don't know where I'm going with that. It had to be a minimum <laughs> number of events. 
So maybe there's a reason why. I, I actually don't know why Joe wouldn't be on that list that I mentioned. Now I'm all confused. Maybe he missed cash to start. That's what it's got to be. Okay. Uh, so he might have missed two or three to start his career, and then he's gone out of the street. Oh, there's there's got to be a reason for it. I don't know it right this second. But I'll cover the list. Um, this does need to be updated. Uh, they just posted the Portland Open uh, cash, so we haven't got our side updated quite yet. So this is pre-Portland Open. Uh, so Nate Sexton was at 117. Joel Freeman didn't play it. He hasn't played since Jonesboro, but he's at 54. Gannon Burr will now jump up to 36 straight events. So that's tied for third with KJ Naibo, who... Uh, doesn't play very much anymore, but he did cash at European Open in 2022, just last year. Uh, so it's still a fairly active cash streak. Uh, Kyle Klein is right behind with 35. This one will be interesting, and I think it's a good discussion point just to say out loud here, is we do consider DNFs to be missing cash for this. So like mm -hmm. Eagle McMahon started the event, played, I think, a full round, and then because of his uh, injury, which we can get into that soon too, um, he then withdrew. We consider that missing cash because he started. Kyle Klein was on the pages also DNFing, but he did not even throw a single hole, I believe. So it's kind of tricky there of when it kind of falls mm -hmm. in. So we always default because there's there's so many different um, there's so many different scenarios. We always default to what the PDGA uh, event page has. So if Kyle Klein is listed as a DNF after the the event is submitted, and I can go check it out. Uh, he, he will be considered missing cash, unfortunately, but mm. we're only as good as the data is. That's why having you know good data is best, uh, as best I as could, possible is good. I could see that one going either way. Like we could debate it for like, hey, yes, include that or not. But um, yeah. and there's different ways to go through all of it um, because you can say, okay, now excluding DNFs, who is the best cash? Yeah, team, true. Uh, and, and you yep. can always go back in different ways. Uh, I do think it worth worth noting just to cover FPO, the longest active streak with I say active with an asterisk because. Uh, it's still ongoing, although some people argue active. You have to play within the last two years, five years, 12 months, whatever. But it's uh, Carrie Berlagar. I always struggle with pronouncing her last name, Berlagar. Uh, she's at 49 straight events, although she hasn't cashed since 2010 United States Women's in FPO. Uh, Owen Scoggins and Missy Gannon are tied. Uh, they're both at 33 prior to Portland Open. I Obviously, Owen Scoggins cashed. I would assume Missy Gannon cashed. I think she was top 10 as well. So they'll both be up to 34, and they'll be the new uh, active, active, I guess, I'll say it twice, uh, elite, uh, standard elite in majors in FPO. Kristen Starr is just nearby with 32. So she's right on the heels, but doesn't play as many events. Mm. Um, uh, pretty pretty cool stat about Adam. Fifty four dollars per throw. Nice, Nick. Not that takes shabby. us back. That Not, takes us. That takes way us. That's a throwback back. to year one of the Nick and Matt show <laughs> when Evan first kind of started coming into the scene. Um, just a cool little stat. I mean, eventually, I forget who is it. Jeremy Colling still has the highest because of the three round USCGC. Ah, uh, man, uh, I'll have to look that up. Let us get I into something like, else, yeah. and then I'll pull it up. I feel uh, like it is, but at the same time, I think soon enough we are going to see, you know, with these Elite Plus events and the amount of money getting added into them, I think we are going to see a new leader in that category. But um, Yeah, it's definitely over $54. Yeah. I think it was mm -hmm. in the 70s. I think maybe we had one in the 80s last year. I don't know. But we'll, we'll feel it out, and if we have a good good time when I'm not doing a recap, we can jump into that. Yeah. Uh, 
I just got a couple. I think we're done with Portland Open here. Um, I want to move on real quick. You mentioned Braden Sides winning the Tennessee State mm-hmm. Disc Golf Championship. I have to mention it because Chris Dickerson lost this event. He doesn't lose in Tennessee very often. He actually had won this event six straight years prior, 2017 through all the way through 2022. He ends up finishing second to Braden Sides. Uh, the last time Chris Dickerson lost this, it wasn't to some Joe Schmo. It was to James Conrad. Uh, so good company to be in to beat Chris Dickerson mm-hmm. at Tennessee States. And it's also worth noting on the FPO side, we saw Natalie Ryan take home the victory. Of course, this is unrelated to the uh, court ruling with the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Remember when they uh, came up with that uh, ruling? I don't know how the best to word it, but it was for uh, eight tiers and below with Go check a out two disc years golf transition. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she is... Uh, as part of the current PDGA rule, still eligible to play in all eight tiers or below. She takes it down over Macy Villadiaz, who was the two-time winner uh, the previous two years. So we saw two streaks get broken uh, in MPO and FPO, the Tennessee State Disc Golf Championships. But I think the second biggest uh, event of the weekend has to be the Estonian Open over on the European Pro Tour. Most notable thing about it is going to be Paul McBeth playing his first European event of the season. He is playing a handful of events. I don't know the exact number, like eight to 10 European events uh, this year. A big push for him to have more presence in Europe, uh, play new courses, experience new events. And um, I'm going to say it, it didn't start off too well for Mr. Paul McBeth. Of course, he's over there for more things than just on the course, but it wasn't the best weekend on the course for him. He ends up finishing 31st. It's his worst finish of his career outside the United States. Uh, his event rating as of now is 9.83. Of course, that's unofficial until ratings update, I believe, on the first or second Tuesday of every month. I always forget what that is exactly. Um, his first sub-1,000 rated event in over a decade. And well, this is this is something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Now, when you drop the 962 and the 986, he averaged 1031 <laughs> for the event. Oh, my I mean, goodness, that's not too bad. Out. He averaged 1031. He figured out my trick. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I would have to pull up because uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Mari Villman. Uh, but what did he average for the tournament? I, I have to pull it up real quick. I don't think I'm gonna get it in time before I continue that's talking. Okay. I- Okay, well, you can pull it up if you want, or just wrap this up. All right, you guys talk about Paul McBeth in Europe, and I'll pull it up real quick. <laughs> or just anything, really. Well, I, don't yeah, think... I mean, I noticeably, the week the week prior to this event was out in Madrid, Spain, doing a Paul McBeth project, installing, I think, the first course out in that area. So pretty awesome in and of itself. But when it actually comes to the tournament play, did not have a great weekend. And I think we can all, the chat's been saying it the whole time, give a shout-out to Joey Tamale. Who did end up placing <laughs> better by six places? He finished twenty fifth. Um, Joey's actually thousand eight rated. I did not know that. So um, Joey, awesome. for those who don't know, is employed both. Well, has been at different times. Joe Mez Productions and DG and Live. He's a camera guy. He's also did the produ- producing of um, what was it called on Joe Mez where they did the Simon like off the course docu-series deal that was cool uh, on J- tour no it wasn't uh, on tour. that was Corey Moore, no find, Corey finding the lines uh no it was something like that maybe but anyways he helped produce Joey that. Did my player profile he so, was one of the people who did it when i was on waco he went out and outperformed paul now my take on paul is that he's just trying to be relatable i've never felt more relatable to paul than this weekend it was like man what a guy but in all seriousness I think I texted, I won't say what Evan's response was, but I said, 
hey, there's an anomaly every now and then for all of us, you know? And what'd you say, Evan? Do you remember? I honestly don't. What did I say? <laughs> oh, you said something like, but but like we don't have five oh. or six world champion rings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's different standards. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I chaotic disc golfer i have terrible weekends all the time yeah uh, i don't have six world titles so uh, well at I, some point at some point and the thing is you'll never know you will not know until history is written meaning he hangs up his disc golf shoes or disc or bag or whatever to look back and see where the crest was like you won't know so maybe this is just a little downturn and he's still going to hit another peak but like it makes you wonder he even made a post he said 20 years 20 years of doing this. I know it doesn't come overnight. And it's like, well, let's see what he's got in him still to keep going. He's not washed up. He's a high performer. And I and I was going to ask Hamas this and others. We always do. The Pro Tour is getting so much harder to win that I feel like I'm seeing players now make positive posts about top 10 or top 15. Brody did that. Top 10, someone else just recently did that. Mm -hmm. um, players are now starting to have that as a badge of pride, which I think is really telling it used to be like oh, i i i'm horrible i got eighth place you know so i think the times have changed winning is going to be another thing if paul he's definitely had an off season underperforming season for his standards but if he can come back and start placing top 10 and everything it'll feel weird for paul but i think it would still be uh great performances uh, i'm also like knocking the truly knock the player who uh has finished first or second at PDGA Pro Worlds for 10 straight years in a row or 10 straight occurrences. Of course, we didn't have the uh, Worlds in 2020. Uh, so until until we see him suffer at Worlds or go a full season without a top five, let's say, mm -hmm. I, I, I have to agree with your assessment that everyone does have an anomaly. Of course, I say that in uh, in joking spirit. Uh, but we'll see what he has in the rest of Europe. You know, you could also uh, chalk it up to jet lag. You chalk, chalk it up to just getting used to the feelings out there. Absolutely. I mean, uh Finns and i think estonians are they're pretty good at knowing english so he's able to get around and do stuff but maybe just getting dinner is incredibly hard because you know you don't know the language uh those things can all be be tough on a person so he won worlds after missing cash at that course you know however many months prior it's like yeah it, it's something something's off he's working mm -hmm. on it it'd be interesting to get his opinion on what's going on there uh, but he's doing great things with this foundation as well uh, a lot of great things for sure yep and before i move on to the winners of the estonian open i do want to say this was a european pro tour event which is not the euro tour the pdga euro tour which gives out essentially silver points this is a separate tour it's the it started last year it's it's kind of doing what the disc golf pro tour is doing mainly in the u.s of course going over to europe now this year but they're doing it just in europe uh, i think they had like eight events last year and they have about the same schedule for this year and they have do live broadcasts on disc golf stream is what they call it very similar uh a few years behind what the disc golf pro tour is doing uh the pdga euro tour you could make the uh, analogy it's like the pdga national tour in the u.s of course you know a little bit different run by pdga europe uh but that is now the partnership with the disc golf pro tour where they're doing dgn live coverage of those euro tour events and though it's select will also count towards uh the same as a silver event would uh so paul mcbeth's gonna play some of those too i don't know if he's playing any more europe uh european pro tour events but this one was a european pro tour so he'll get europe i don't think i don't think he's playing anymore now he's like that's uh, no. <laughs> no, he's got what, what it looks like is euro tour number one two three four and five and it looks like for the most part they're back to back to back to back to back yeah okay and then number six being the pcs sula open 
And then the one after that is the European Open. So there's still yeah. seven more events. And yeah, I believe it's just called the PCS Open this year because I think it's moving away from the Sula course. It but is. I don't maybe PCS Open. Yeah, no, okay. it is. You just were. catching you there. Hey, I heard I heard that uh, multiple other places. So now it's ingrained in my head. <laughs> uh, but so to cover the winners of this Estonian Open event because it was exciting. Uh, this was the second European Pro Tour event of the season. Uh, Mari Vilman takes it down in MPO. He also won the first uh, European Pro Tour event uh, of the season, which I believe was the Copenhagen Open. Let me just check that real quick. Uh, yes, the Copenhagen Open in Denmark. Now we saw the Estonian Open in Estonia. Uh, he also won the Helsinki uh, event on the Prodigy Disc Pro Tour, which is like the Finnish national tour, uh, just the previous week. So he now has won three events, having an incredible start to his 2023 season. Uh, he becomes the first two-time MPO winner on the European Pro Tour. Well, we saw the whole tour exist last year, and we saw many different winners. I believe like Nicholas Antelo won an event, but of course he's spending much, uh, much of his time in the U.S. too. I think Laurie Lettinen won and a few other winners. Uh, he has now won both this year, looking absolutely fantastic. Um, we, at Stamando, we have an inter international ranking system, which is just uh, it's similar to our official rankings, but it's only events outside the U.S. Uh, so like Eagle McMahon got points for winning the European Open last year. That was the biggest international event of the season. Most points are up. Uh, based on field strength. Uh, Mari Vilman is now number one in those international rankings. Um, so, uh, of course, there's other international players who are mainly playing in the U.S. I mean, you could call Simon Lazat, but also like Nicolas Antela, uh, Albert Tom, those players, and Kristen Tatar, of course, on uh, the FPO side, those players are mainly playing in the U.S. So it's it's a different ranking system, kind of a little bit confusing to understand that I get, but still a, a way to notice uh, non-U.S. events because we're generally overpowered uh, by the U.S. having the strongest fields. Uh, so that's very cool to see him take that number one spot uh, in he, FPO. Oh, go ahead. Well, Nick. he also, and you might have just said this as I was kind of looking at it, but when I'm reading his PDGA page, he actually won the European Pro Tour Estonian Open Monday qualifier. Yes. So he qualified the week of the event and then went on to actually win the event. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what's crazier? <laughs> the FBO winner the also FBO, got entry. She, 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 got second, she finished second, but got entry because the, yeah. of it. Uh, so I don't know how they do registration. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. I'm not too sure about that, but it is a really uh, cool thing that, uh, I mean, we saw it, I think, most notably with Champions Cup, where there's a lot of uh, mm -hmm. fantastic players who <laughs> ended up being in this qualification. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so uh, European Pro Tour is having the same thing, whether it was a registration thing or mm. just uh, Estonian Open. I don't know. Mario Vilman, he, he's been a solid player, but he's, you know, new to this very very good player i'll say so it could be that he didn't have a high enough standings last year if they have some sort of tour card system mm -hmm. i am unaware of that but it is very cool that we saw two uh monday qualifier entries both taking it home but let's cover the fpo winner i oh this is going to be tough to pronounce but i think it's tile <laughs> tumsalu that's my guess let good me job. know if that's uh not what it is uh but she wins uh it's her only her second PDGA win of her career of any division. She only cashed in three PDGA events prior, totaling $379 total. Nick, I know you don't cash, uh, make a lot of money in cash, but you make more than that. So I'm yeah. sorry. I had to go there. I know uh, you don't cash. <laughs> Matt might even have that much cash in his uh, no. slim my pro, pro My pro winnings are like $125. Bucks. All right, all right, all right. My pro but I've winnings only, are but like I've only. Too. 
but I've only played like one or two pro events ever. So yeah, yeah. Keep it. Uh, yeah, of course, tomatoes, tomatoes uh, with, you know, different divisions and different parts of the globe. Uh, and I believe this is all in USD, USD, I would assume, mm -hmm. United States dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, from this win, she earns $930. Again, I'm assuming USD. So almost triple the amount that she got from the European, uh, from her previous events. Yeah. Uh, she was ranked 199th in the world by the stat middle rankings before this event. It was her first week ever in the ranking system too. We don't have every player that plays MPO, FPO, but we did uh, add her in and was ranked 199 to start. She has now jumped up all the way to 138 thanks to that win. Not too mm. shabby. Um, so that is so much value that you just added to our show. Uh, wow. That's granted, we just brought in Adam Hammes in the middle of that, but that could be the most packed stat intro that we've ever had. So that's pretty cool. Um, there's a few questions I had uh, that could get get us prepped here. We're gonna have Juliana in in about five or ten minutes. Um, I already asked you about her. Is that the most impressive performance we've seen from that generation? I I don't know the answer to that. The chat was answering that. But then I want to go to Sayananda. Breakout year, definitely. Um, she's obviously a great player and has probably been doing that for a while, but not on tour. So when I think of Sai now, I'm going, is she the real deal? And everybody has a performance. And I don't mean to like, this isn't a belittling thing. But like Stacy Haas or Haas brought the, op the open at Tallahassee, but like has not shown up almost anywhere else since then. Now, uh, mm -hmm. top 15, top 20, like good. That's fine. Like I, she should be proud of her efforts. But my point is like she's not placing podium or pushing for the wins. But like Cy does it and you think, oh, is this going to be one of those players? But then she's here and you're seeing her execute shots at a very high level against the world's best disc golf athletes. And uh, so that's my question. Is she the real deal? And then I'm still asking the question about Kristen Tatar. And I'm just posing this out there for people to think about or even in the chat answer. You would think by this point, I would already have my answer, but I'm, I'm starting. I am slow for me to turn the ship here just to say that Kristen Tatar is the best dominant player, will win everything, has all the skills. But it's the consistency, because I keep asking the question, is she the most talented FPO player? I've asked this a few yeah. weeks ago. But talent is such an interesting thing, because if you did a talent show, skill shot ch challenge, I feel like you're going to see other players outperform her on skill shots. I really believe it. And But by skill, I mean, maybe I mean trick shots or special mm -hmm. highs or flips or all these things, right? Is she the most skilled at competition? Absolutely. By far. Mm -hmm. I'm going to answer that right now. She is consistent. She has her game plan. She executes it. She is the most talented at golf shots. Absolutely. Disc golf and, shots. Yeah. And so she's, she's going to keep winning until mm -hmm. others either fix their game plan or just execute on their consistency. So good job for her. She is the real deal. I just think it's interesting to see there's other more explosive players. That's all I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. No, there definitely um, is. I mean, uh, no doubt that there's players like Ella Hansen who can absolutely crush a disc and, you know, with kind of minimalistic effort, you know, minimal effort for her throw, she just absolutely crushes a disc. You could say that Owen Scoggins is a better putter. You could say that I don't you know, know whoever has a better weekend. forehand, but Kristen was time, nasty. Kristen was nasty putting and it's so yeah. effortless. Um, here, here's, here's what mm -hmm. I'll just finish on. I'll just finish on this topic. We got an important guest get just about ready to come in. 
But to the, to the point I'm trying to make is that Ella might be more explosive, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or Paige or pick, pick a handful, even Holland Handley lately, Evan. Mm-hmm. I guess my take that I'm trying to make here is how long is Kristen Tatar going to be the top reigning, always the one that you're going to pick? How long? Because if Ella puts it together, if Holland puts it together, if, if all these players that are starting to be that more explosive power, right? That is going to be the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that by age wise, but the next generation of player that is going to be the top, that they have everything, all the distance, all the everything. So if Ella and Holland, let's say they're right here, and yeah. they slowly, you know, keep working on their game, and they increase, increase, increase. Now Kristen is right here. Does she keep working on her game and kind of like, does she <laughs> keep going up? Or are we saying that she's going to stay stagnant with how she is? Because I think she dominates easily for the next three to five years. Wow, she that's stays, a big take. Barring, barring any major injury, anything like that, her game is so silky smooth that her mess ups are so different compared to other mess ups. So five you know I mean? years from now, does she have five more world champions and a six before Paige does? I think she wins three out of the next five. Okay. Well, because then you can look hmm. at it, take it, take it like Ricky says it. Oh, it's just one tournament. You know what I, I mean? I know. I you know. can take it like that. But at the same time, yeah, like anyone can have that great week. We've seen it happen year after year after year. Uh, anyone can have that great week and become the world champion. Now, I do think that it's the most prestigious event in our sport. Same thing with the USCGC. But um, yeah, I definitely think three to five, four, or excuse me, three out of five, four to five. I think it's very realistic for Kristen to do that. I, I think that's a really good thought exercise to say how many times will she win worlds in the next five years? Because mm-hmm. uh, like, it feels like you could say, yeah, five out of five is easy. You could say five that's out of five so, easy. That's so yeah. incredible because she's only <laughs> won five out of eight this year, which mm-hmm. is an incredible win percentage over 50%, <laughs> but she still has lost three times. And so you go to worlds, like she could easily, like if she goes 63% at worlds the next five years, that's not five out of five. That's well, uh, pretty much three out of five. I just want to uh, say, so, sorry. I just want to say I'm so excited, literally so excited that FPO has gotten to this place. It, I do not mean any offense to FPO, but it didn't used to be this exciting because there was one or two dominant players constantly, Paige and Katrina, of the past 10 years, right? It's like we're one and more, and now we're like, look at this. There's a lot of FPO players in contention. Well, in I'll fact, jump in in it. In fact, our on, next guest, we're, we're almost there. We're almost yeah, there. It depends Juliana. on your definition of excitement, too, because I, I'm going to uh, channel my inner hand Macbeth here and say it's just how you see exciting. You might see dominance as so exciting. You might have seen Elaine King, then Juliana Corver, then Des Redding, then Valerie Jenkins, and then Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen Maybe. dominating. That is so exciting, and that's what's so cool about seeing it. Or you see the age where any winner can come from any weekend to be exciting it, it's all up to the the person but i will say on kristen tatar what it, I, matt you said effortless and i think that is the biggest thing when you watch her play she makes it look so easy and it's fascinating to watch and she is her entire game feels like an a or a minus but you could argue that maybe nothing is quite an a plus as in the best in the field you could take a player and say let's let's say you get own scoggins's putting you get uh page pierce's uh distance add in ella hansen or holland hanley's distance you get all these different players you get Haley king's forehand i think i like it you can you can make a better player with the players we have today uh 
but obviously that's uh, you got to you know Frankenstein it to put it together. But <laughs> what Kristen Starr also does so well is her mental game. She looks so calm and composed. It looks like she isn't phased. Maybe maybe there's more things going on inside, but for the outside viewer, it, she just it looks so easy to her, and it's incredible to watch and why she's got such a a large rabid fan base for her watching her play because it is that exciting to watch. I kind of wish, and Nick, I'll give you the last thought on it. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish, and maybe I'm I'm not I'm alone in this. There was more of this like killer instinct. Like you want to see that like massive fist pumping and like not in your face kind of a thing. Like I want to see that. She's so, but this is not golf. I get it. Like she's so even killed, and I think that's another one of her strengths. It's hard to tell what she's feeling, but man, you kind of want to just see this. You're dominant, like almost want to be like act like it but that's not her thing and that's okay so my kind of thought with it we're kind of talking about the dominance of kristen tatar uh we've played two four round big events so far this year champions cup and now the portland open champions cup kristen tatar won by 14 strokes this event going into the final round she was up by six ended up winning the tournament by four strokes now that's not to say like she played a 968 rated final round or something like that. She did not have to do anything spectacular to win that tournament. But give Kristen four or five rounds at any tournament this year. I think any I I would say that any elite plus event or major Kristen by far has the best chance of winning it right now. Four mm. or five rounds Kristen I think dominates everyone. I try to shout out uh, different guests as they join the chat. Brody Smith says, when crowds get bigger and rowdier, players will show even more emotion. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, Bringing it over to PGA Golf, think of those rowdy holes and courses, right? The players get pumped up when they hit a big putt in those situations. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did see a pretty good showing from the gallery there in Portland. Um, I think that's definitely going to help. and here's to his point. I actually think it's a great point. Thank you for contributing, Brody. It's weird to do a big fist bump in front of a smaller crowd. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, a great point. Like, yeah. You're like looking around like who would like, let's yeah. go now a little bit more of a quiet one to yourself. Obviously we do that, but that's a great point. Um, any closing thoughts on this before we move into our next guest? Okay. Now nope. let's hear it. Let's All right, it. let's let's get into it. Now, usually we have special music, but I am in a hotel room and I'm trying to do things all myself without intern Ben and he's off doing his vacation thing and I'm at work, but we can do it this way. We'll just welcome to the show Juliana Corv, everybody. It's a little boring without the music, but here we go. Hey, J- hey, how are you doing, Juliana? There she is. I'm well, thank you. Can you hear me? We Absolutely. can hear you loud and clearly. Excellent. Uh, this is fantastic. Now, can I get this out of the way? Do people like your friends call you JK or, no. or are you all? Okay. No, they don't. Okay. O- only I, disc golfers call me JK. <laughs> then I will not call I said before the show, is it JK or J- no, I can't say JK. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I throw the putters, but I can't say it. Um, so Juliana, impressive performance out of you. You have a lot of impress- impressive performances in your career. We know that we love the history of disc golf. You've returned after a significant amount of time off and you've made podiums a few times now, where do you rank your performance? Even though it wasn't a win, like where do you rank this performance in your history of disc golf? In the modern era, I think this is the most substantial. And why so? Why so? Um, I had kind of just conceded the fact that I was not able to get to the lead card. 
And then not more than a couple events later, there I am. So it was um, a little bit of a slap in the face in a good way to not count yourself out and to keep pushing because I, I committed to this year to being out there full time. And um, it was it was just a wonderful reality check that um, it's still a possibility. It's still it's still within me if um, if I can get it to come out and and I can still show the world that I have game left. Yeah, I think we saw a post somewhere uh, about you maybe getting more involved with media and maybe like starting to close out your competition. But do things like this inspire you or is that set in stone that you're like, I'm on my way out? I well, so. I, I did mention that um, you know my my career trajectory is going to be changing, but I I didn't mean to imply that I wasn't going to play anymore. I just meant that my goal, which this year was to make the tour championship finale, will change, and so that will not be a goal moving forward. Regardless of, I mean, even if I I would happen to podium a couple more times, I, that would not change in the future. I mean, this is my last year following the tour and trying to hit uh, the minimum number of required stops in order to count for the tour finale. Mm -hmm. can, so, I, can I ask what led to that decision? Like, is it just, what, what was it that led you to this decision of this is the year? Uh, well, so I haven't yet had a year where I've had the minimum number of tournaments to count. I have always had uh, fewer and so I've had zeros. Um, and not had it sort of an even playing field to try to get to that final tournament. So I just wanted one year where I had every every uh, column filled. Um, but as far as, as why I wouldn't continue with that, mm -hmm. uh, I've had quite a few events this year where I haven't cashed. And it sort of feels fiscally irresponsible <laughs> to remain out here when um, that is, uh, happening on, you know, somewhat regular basis. So, uh, this particular finish is, uh, definitely a big shot in the arm, but no, it's not going to change. I mean, I knew that my window of opportunity playing with 20 year olds was small and I might be bumping up against the edge of that as we speak. Um, but it's still, it's still fun for me and I still feel like I've got enough skill that I can prove that I deserve to be out there. If you had to kind of say this past weekend with what your potential is in the sport, how close do you feel like you play to, let's say, playing your best disc golf out there? Uh, I saw that this was my fifth best rated tournament of my career. Wow. Um, and I do not feel that this was my fifth best okay. tournament play. Yeah. Not not even close. Mm -hmm. I made. I mean, um, I'm still not strong around the green. I did better this weekend than I have, but mm -hmm. that is far from where my best was. And I'm not throwing as far as I used to. Maybe I'm throwing measurement wise as far because I'm throwing faster discs than I did mm -hmm. 25 years ago. But um, 
the strength that I had and the arm speed that I had, it's not what I what I used to have. So uh, this is how on earth you put a number on that. I don't know. Seventy-five yeah. <laughs> percent no. of my former. I, I don't. I don't know. It, okay. I mean, yeah. it, I'm I'm definitely proud of the performance, mm -hmm. but but it's not the same level of um, confidence and accomplishment and satisfaction that I have experienced in the past. I was about to say you brought up satisfaction. Now, with where you're at in your disc golf career, how come the satisfaction level kind of isn't reaching where, let's say, you would want it to reach? Uh, that's that's a tricky one as well. So I think anybody who um, is really driven to get to the top and then has the ability to be there for a while. I mean, there's just a type of personality that that never goes away. And, you know, the reality is that that as as you age, obviously your game is going to um, take some hits and and you just physically cannot stay at that level forever. And um, I'm sorry, but I don't see any of you anymore. <laughs> We just had you spotlighted. I, I'm I doing a lot of sure things that, that, that I wasn't speaking to. No, <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> I am. Um, I flew to Detroit today, so I'm not in our studio producing. So I'm doing a lot here and I'm trying to figure out how to spotlight you. And I did it not to make you feel awkward. Um, if you do you feel like. I'm not trying to be presumptuous at all. If Kristen Tatar played at her best page, played at her best. Ella, Ella played at her, so on and so forth. And you played at your best right now. Do you beat them or could you? Today's best? No, I don't beat them. So do you feel like they underperformed a little bit this week? Or do you think you played yeah. at your peak? Oh, you no, think no, they no. did? It, uh, Kristen definitely underperformed. And you could see it. Um, you mentioned that, you know, she's very stoic and, and doesn't show a lot of emotions. But when you're right next to her, you can tell uh, the disappointment she has when she misses a putt and you know, it, it's um, subtle, but she definitely struggled that last round. And uh, you know, I, I, I was almost wondering how, you know, what can I do to <laughs> pump her up? And um, <laughs> you know, cause it, it, it was, you know, she's, she wasn't off a lot. She was just off a little bit and it, it felt like she just needed, um, I don't know, just needed a hug <laughs> and, and um, maybe, maybe it would come back, but you know, she, her, her ceiling is so high that even when she plays poorly, well, and I wouldn't say she played poorly. She just mm -hmm. didn't play extremely sharp and, and her skill is so high that even that is enough to eclipse the field. Do you think that, and not not to kind of speak on what's going on in Kristen's head at that moment, but, and I, I think boredom is the wrong word, but when you're going into the final round with a six-stroke lead, and then after nine holes, you still have four or five of those strokes, and it's kind of now at this point, you're just playing match play those last few holes. Do you think there is a boredom factor there of, I've pretty much got this solidified, I'm ready to just get on out of here and drive to the next one, or is it just, you know, some days people are having off days? Well, I, I would never presume what somebody else is thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, I, if it were me, um, no, definitely boredom would never be part of it because you're still playing in front of a large gallery. And mm -hmm. I mean, I would much rather go into the final round with a massive lead than yeah. 
a fight for for the finish. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't think that's it. Uh, I to me it looked like maybe a bad a, a slightly bad shot here, a little bit of a disappointment there, and maybe it just sort of compounded a little bit before she was able to right the ship and and come back and finish very strongly. But there were a couple times um, where she got on the tee and she had just missed a putt that didn't seem short to me, but was one that she uh, obviously um, expected and was disappointed in, in not making. Um, and again, if you were close enough just to see her facial expressions, you could see that she really put some, some heat onto the next drive. And Jim even mentioned to her, um, <laughs> said, you're a little pissed after that, um, for that shot, weren't you? And she yeah. kind of, she kind of looked, she's like, oh yeah, 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 I was, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and the form looks the same and everything, but you could just, you could just feel the extra effort that went into it. And it mm -hmm. did result in, in a further distance off the tee as well. So. Um, I don't know. There were just some internal struggles that she was mm -hmm. working on. Whatever those happened to be, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I think it's enjoyable to see you play at this level. And uh, pre before you came on, I was we were debating and we've only I've been around about 18 years in the sport. That's the longest I've been. But is this the greatest performance from someone from your generation of disc golfer? And we don't mean necessarily age wise, although age would play a factor <laughs> to be this generation. But like, can you think of another performance? And I'm putting you at a really high performance level here in this modern age from someone that you used to compete with. I. I can't. I can't no. come up with an example of, of something, but you know, I, I'm still of the mindset that, uh, yes, I'm happy that I podium, him, but it was still third place, you know, it's yeah. not yeah. a win. <laughs> so I have never in my life prior to the modern era been happy with it's not a win, which but is a different mindset for this generation. Okay, so you might have heard us. You were in the green room a little bit. That was part of our conversation was, is this players obviously want the win and the drive in a competitor will never be satisfied. But players are seemingly posting more positive social media posts now when they're top 15 or top 10. Like they're well, saying, like, I played well. Again, modern era. There's a lot. Yeah. Uh, there are reasons for that. One, there are all kinds of bonus structures that pay down significantly. Um, there are... The, the points that people are working to, and, and it's not just woohoo, I've got the top points. They actually mean something now, you know, to get into the, the tour finale or to get a tour card. So there's, there are really uh, big financial incentives for all of these things. And um, it's just, uh, also people are making enough money from sponsorships that it's not just who wins, um, is the winner. So when I played, I, I um, 25 years ago, I won almost everything and I was averaging about $400 a week. And if I didn't win, you know, I had to save money from the previous week to put gas in the car and feed myself. So there was a lot more almost animosity between the players um, to get that money to get to the next tournament. And now 
the top 12 people get a thousand dollars the top 20 people get you know over 800 i mean the money is so much bigger in the winnings um that it's okay to be farther down in uh in the rankings and and still feel like you're making enough to make this legitimate um profession or or uh hobby or you know couple year um adventure and 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 as i mentioned before the top players they're making more money off the course than they on, are on the course so it's a really different mindset and different incentive are you happy or i don't know the right word to use here i, I don't have the correct word with where you entered disc golf, the generation that you entered with, are you proud and happy of that? Or do you feel like, man, I was just too early. Like if I had no. been around, no, I'm, I'm very happy for where I entered. Um, for one thing, I, I do feel a little bit of pride for where we're at now that um, maybe in some small way, something that I did help to um, grow the sport, grow the women's field, mm -hmm. uh, show the men that the women can play. I you know, I don't know what it was, but I feel like, like in, in some way um, I'm helping to, to boost what is there today. But also if there had been the kind of media attention, social media exposure, um, spectators, no, I could probably handle the spectators. It, it's the online stuff when I'm not playing, uh, Reddit, for example, <laughs> you know, if I had to sustain that type of scrutiny as a 20 something, I would have probably come in, tried to get to the top and then got out of here as fast as possible. Mm. Yeah, I think um, those are some incredible, insightful uh, responses there. Um, I'm kind of like, well, we're glad that you came back. I think you talked about, you know, your past 15, 20 years ago being helpful, but I think your return, I using the word return, your return to disc golf, I think has had a significant impact as well if not only even just this weekend the this i i was rooting for you like i i think you had a whole bunch of people doing that going this is what we want to see like mm -hmm. this is really cool um and i hope this doesn't offend you that i would use tiger woods as an example but like we want to see tiger woods win that masters one more time and had you done something like that you think comparing me to tiger woods is gonna offend me <laughs> i don't know i it was a male player i mean he's great but like i couldn't think of the yeah. female option off no, the top I, of my head no i appreciate that thank you very much i i want to hop back to 2012 uh, sorry 2001 usdgc uh you of course famously cashed an mpo at that uh i I just want to hear more about that experience, what you were thinking going into that event and just like what it meant to be, you know, a woman playing in the MPO field. And, and before I get the response, I do have to say, I think it's been known before, but I did just double check it. You're the only uh, player who's played in FPO and has cashed at US, USDGC and MPO. That year in 2001, you averaged a 997 rating. Of course, USD, USDGC has a few years without ratings, but that is the best rating from a player who has played FPO. Uh, it's actually not the best place someone has come in. Uh, you did that the year previous, uh, finishing 37th, I'm assuming a smaller field, but that's the second best place, finishing 50th. Uh, so let us know what were all the emotions going into that event and after when you cashed. By far the most exciting uh, tournament that I have ever played in. I Every year I looked forward to USDGC more than all of the other events because um, for one, 
well, I knew the field was going to be the best that it could possibly be. There, there was no better field um, out there and there's no qualifiers. You know, it's not just, you're the best woman, you're the best, whatever age protected, you're the best, some qualifier. It was just against everyone. And I felt so accepted by the guys, you know, I didn't feel like they were threatened by me. Well, maybe some of them were, but it was in kind of a playful way. And if I would back, this is back in the day when you didn't have, you couldn't look at the scores on your phone. You had to go walk to the clubhouse and see them actually printed out. So, you know, if I'd walk by as people were looking at the scores and I could just hear murmurings and they would be talking about the Juliana line, whether they were above or below the Juliana line. So, you know, it, it was just a really special feeling to be able to perform well and on that stage. And yeah, I, I um, in fact, I gave up the opportunity to play in the women's major um, two or three times because it conflicted with USDGC. So it was more important for me to go compete with the guys than it was to go win another major. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, that's incredible. Again, your responses, I'm loving it. Um, I feel like the only other one I can think of, and it's not the same level, but was Katrina competing at the European Open. Uh, how many years ago was that? seven years ago, six, five, I don't know, somewhere in there. But I think that's, it's awesome when you guys can do that. Um, wow. So what's, I don't want to say what's next. We already know your, your journey of this golf and what you're saying. Well, I got, you kind of want to do. I Go mean, ahead, tell, tell us a little bit about kind of bouncing, juggling back and forth between commentary and playing on the pro tour. And so if you've dabbled a little bit in commentary, I actually very much enjoy your commentary. One of my favorite times that you did commentary was with my best friend, Hannah Macbeth at the USDGC. And it was definitely the easiest to listen to kind of, do you feel like you're going to slowly take more of a role into that as your playing years, you're going to, you know, once you stop playing? Yes, I, I do anticipate that that is um, where I will go. And by the way, I need to thank Hannah. Um, if Hannah hadn't been the one sitting next to me, I probably would not have done that because I was too uncomfortable in that position. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Poole was the one that reached out to me and asked me if I would do commentary for the Throw Pink, and I politely declined. And then he asked me again, and I slightly more strongly declined. And then he asked me again, and he said that Hannah would be doing the play-by-play -play next to me, and she is just such a sweet soul and i knew that i would be comfortable sitting next to her in the booth and it was basically because hannah would be next to me that i agreed to do it in the first place so wow. i'm grateful for hannah for that so uh, the chat uh shout out to citizens uh username there they said on the course commentary would be fantastic from juliana have you thought about that they always get you in the booth if you're going to do something but like on the course could be really awesome sure that'd be fun yeah. And you'd be down there with the players and the feeling. I think I'm, I'm, I'm a vote for that. I think the chat likes to vote for that too. So, um, so where, where are you going next? Uh, next event you're playing, you're hitting every single one. Uh, not every single one. Um, but I am doing Missoula, uh, the silver series this weekend coming up. And then instead of, uh, DDO, um, Jim and I are actually going back to, the Portland area, and we're going to play the Beaver State Masters event. So very much very looking fun. forward to getting to play Milo again um, for a different tournament. And and then I'll be back. We'll fly back to the Midwest, hit Des Moines, 
Uh, I was originally thinking that I was going to drop out of the preserve because I thought that there was, um, well, I thought there was no chance that I would be able to make it into the finale based on how I was playing. But with the amount of points that I got this last weekend, I now think it would be irresponsible to not play the preserve. Um, so we're going to make that happen. Um, one of the reasons we were going to potentially drop that one is because it's a very long drive from St. Cloud, Minnesota to Flagstaff, Arizona for mm -hmm. Masters Worlds. <laughs> um, but we're going to uh, we're going to make it happen because I yeah I just I don't want to get it to the end of the year and and miss the cut by twenty points <laughs> because of one event not being played. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are there any uh, courses that you haven't played that the tour plays nowadays over the last few years? Are there any courses that you haven't been to yet that you're looking forward to playing this year? Jones Jonesboro this year was new for me. Okay. Um. Some of the text, well, some of the Texas tournament uh, courses. The newer Texas for ones, everybody. yeah, that makes sense. Um, oh, I had played Waco, but I played the other side of the river oh. years oh, okay. ago. Yep. So I was actually quite confused when I first got there, trying to get my bearings because you know it's on the Brazo River and there's the river yeah. and and I, I and it took me a, a few minutes. But then I I do remember. Uh, so we had they took the photos tour card photos on the other side and then it all clicked because that looked familiar that um and, and then i remember uh from decades ago them talking about the course that was going to be built on um i think the east side which the is where side. they play now yeah. so it, it's awesome. kind of funny how how um some of the memories click in place um so many years later mm -hmm. so we know that you do a lot of Frisbee stuff. You've probably been a part of the all around events. I, I, I haven't researched all of your history. I just know there's a lot of world titles and, and a lot of, like there's impressive stuff. Uh, too many accolades to list right now. Um, you've also mentioned that you tend to be more of an introverted person. I think I've either heard that on podcasts or I don't, I don't know where I've heard that. Maybe it was in person. I met you out at junior worlds, master worlds last year. Um, what do you do to unwind? Maybe that, maybe it's Frisbee related. Maybe it's not like, do you go and do a little freestyle session in the backyard by yourself? Uh, well, there's no backyard at the moment. Okay. You true. know, looking on the road, the um, Walmart parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my unwind is going to seem extraordinary vanilla to you. I, um, I, I quilt, I knit, I puzzle, I read, um, all pretty, solitary endeavors do you read any specific genre i like science fiction okay Ooh. okay give us, a, give us a like a favorite book that you like <laughs> ender's game is is a Ooh. really really good book um hail mary was okay. uh, written by the same author that wrote um mars that mm -hmm. um was just made into a movie five ten mm -hmm. years ago Mm -hmm. uh, Hail Mary was very good. I actually laughed out loud a couple times while reading that one. Nice. <laughs> I'm laughing now. I think when you said it's going to seem very vanilla to us, I'm thinking to myself, I'm the dad of four boys and my wife probably would be like, please give me that. She loves to read as well. I think it mm -hmm. sounds extremely relaxing. And I think some of our players, I, I think I'd like to know more from all of our players, how they're getting this downtime, because I think it's a constant grind, right? Um, we hear, 
if you're always thinking disc golf and if you're always thinking your gameplay, you're probably stressing yourself out and it's not helping you. That'd be my take. What do you think? I do spend a lot of time visualizing playing the course, mm -hmm. but usually that's um, in the evening. Usually it keeps me up at night. When I <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I, it's frustrating to me if I don't know the course well enough to be able to go through and, and play it. I feel like I'm missing out on my practice time. Um, so, so yeah, that's definitely something that I do. I feel, I feel like I just related to you so greatly and I'm not at your level by any means, but laying in bed before a tournament going, do, everyone does that, right? Like they're like, yeah. okay, what shot, what throw? Oh, is that, you know, that, and I think who was our last guest last week or the week before they actually said, it kept them up. Remember who was that? They were saying they were kept up. We had Jen Allen on last. Oh, that's who it was. That yeah, she, right. she had the lead. Yeah. Right. And, and one one of the holes. I can't tell you which one it was. Um, yesterday or the day before, during the round, I ended up not getting a birdie, and I was in a position where that was a potential. And Jim was trying to console me, and and I was thinking, well. You know, I, I played this hole 20 times last night and I never birdied it in my, in my thought process. So, you know, I'm fine. Wow. That that actually is a statement that I want to write down on my phone. Like, like you don't birdie this every time, so don't be disappointed by it. I forget. Yeah. Uh, there was an interesting book I read once. It talked about something along those lines. It was like, hey, you can't remember. Oh, it was Seth Muncie, Nick. You can't be disappointed mm -hmm. if you're not putting in the work to get it. Yeah. And, if, and if in Juliana's mm -hmm. mind, she's not birdying that hole don't be disappointed about it like well, I, maybe yeah I, I don't want to set the expectations so far out of reach that that it's inevitable yeah. that you're disappointed and frustrated on the course right awesome I, talk I, to us a little bit uh just really quick about the kind of caddy player relationship it is your husband who is out on the road with you now yes and so you both compete you're both very competitive in your fields um and jim was caddying for you this past weekend just talk to us a little bit about the caddy player relationship and how it is let's say helped you in your disc golf career well what he did this last weekend which was invaluable was to keep me calm and kind of blissfully ignorant of where i actually was so um, obviously I knew I was on the lead card, but I just like the third round, I just figured, okay, it's going to be a one and done. You know, I'm going to drop back down. Hopefully I'll stay in the top 10. And, you know, I, I pretty much had that mindset the whole time. So I just, just I, I want to throw a good shot here. I want to throw a good shot here just to show the crowd that I can, but you know, I'm not, it's not like I have to worry about where I am compared to the other girls because mm -hmm. I'm going to fall. And he, um, he did a really good job keeping me focused on, on the next shot and the next shot and just keeping me calm. And uh, for example, some of the things he, he was like, slow down. Um, and, and he was making little jokes like um, your demographic doesn't walk very fast. So you got plenty of time to get to the next tee. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he, he, well, you know, he's a world champion. He's a multi-time mm -hmm. world champion. He's a hall of famer. So I have complete trust in, his advice and he knows my game inside out and backwards. And so he's a sounding board that I can um, talk to about each shot. And sometimes I think he can tell the difference. I think he can tell when I need help and when I need a suggestion or I just basically need somebody to say, yes, you're right. Yes, that's a good good idea. Mm -hmm. 
So it it works really well. And and the thing that might not be obvious is um, the crowds. I'm I, I like I actually like playing in front of crowds, but playing in front of cameras that's a little bit makes me more self conscious. And so just being able to have him next to me um, provides a calm and a serenity that um, might go unchecked if, if I didn't have that. Uh, for example, towards the end, um, AJ Risley is on one of the, the cameras on the cart. And all of a sudden, I, I just feel that he is just, <laughs> I mean, he's walking backwards with the camera as I'm walking to the next, he almost falls over walking into a tree yeah. and and it was it had amped up and so um you know it's obvious that either i'm a potential storyline or they're really <laughs> talking about me and you know so if if i i just have him as my um my human support and uh it it really helps me to handle that kind of spotlight Wow. Uh, I'm enjoying all this insight. I like that. I've, I've thought about that a little bit. Um, having a camera right on you. Um, I mean, it is what it is, but yeah. Um, I, I, can I hop over? I, I want to hear just cause I, I come from computer science background, Juliana. I want to hear, uh, just tell us a, a quick brief history on, on your, uh, studies with computer science and then what you did with it to, uh, help disc golf. Oh gosh. So, um, I was, I was senior in college when I first started playing disc golf. And shortly after that, I um, started grad school in computer science. And this was the dawn of the internet. So the very first web page that I built just to practice with this brand new technology was a disc golf web page. And nice. I had the, the previous summer, I had, um, I had a car, so my friends uh, convinced me that I needed to drive them to the world championships uh, with, in Huntsville, Alabama in 1993. And that was the first year of the Hall of Fame. And so I had this printout with uh, people's names and the, the little speech that everyone got with all of their accomplishments. And so that was one of the pages that I built um, in this first little disc golf website. Um, so that kind of grew. Uh, one of the things that I did along with that, uh, because there were so few women, I wanted to try to coordinate and help the women go to events where other women would be at. And I created a, a database and um, an email list with all of the women and another one with all the tournament directors. And I would suggest things that the tournament directors could do to entice more women. And then the tournament directors that would tell me that they are going to do, you know, A, B, and C to help the women, I would then send that to the women's group and say, these are the events that are going out of their way to try to make you feel special. And um, it was, you know, I, I was trying to help the sport, but it was also self-serving because then I knew where the women were going to go play and then I could go play at the events that had the most women attending. Um, so that was, that was one of the things that, that I did a long time ago. 
Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that because it definitely is an inspiration to see. Uh, I mean, disc golf has a lot of uh, leaders in many different areas, but I mean, not only your play, but also just just software in general, emerging disc golf. Of course, I find that really cool. So I appreciate hearing about that. And, and one of those things that I wish I knew earlier, like when I was in high school, just learning about uh, computer science and programming. Uh, very, very cool. What, what's the uh, name of the website? What was the website? Do you remember? At one point, it was julianacorver.com. I, I no longer have that. Well, the internet holds on to everything. So we <laughs> can, I think there's the Wayback Machine, and we can punch that I've in. I've actually oh, never geez. looked there to, to see. <laughs> I still have the code. I still have the pages. <laughs> nice. There you go. Awesome. Let's put it in a museum. Um, so we're getting close here to the end end of this, but I wanted to ask, when you look at disc golf now, you come off as a pretty positive individual. Um, I don't hear you say a lot of negativity and I don't think negativity in general, just for the sake of saying it is a good thing, but do you see anything in disc golf today that you just feel like isn't, it, it maybe isn't going in the right direction, whether it's the course types um, or paywall media or like, is there anything that stands out to you way the sponsorships are going that you kind of just feel like, man, I just don't know if that's right. I'm I'm not quick to judge on some of those things. I, I kind of want to step back and let them play out a little bit more. And and I think that they will evolve into the right path. Um, and I don't pretend to have enough knowledge to know what's right or wrong right now. Um, so I, I just am amazed at where we are right now and grateful that we have gotten this far in my lifetime so that I've been able to experience it firsthand. I didn't expect much less. You're a very processing person and I appreciate that very much. We, I, in fact, I think we all need a Juliana in our lives, maybe on the podcast. We can run our, our thoughts through Juliana and then we can decide if we're going to talk about them. <laughs> all right. Um, well, we got to that point. We've asked a fair amount, but we probably missed some. The chat was really happy to hear about you uh, and what you're doing and how you're doing it, what your plans are. Is there anything we missed that you'd like to talk about before you go? I probably, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Okay. Awesome. Are there any specific ways that people can help support the touring efforts? Yeah. So it is fiscal, fiscally responsible. Uh, thank you for that. Um, well, I do have uh, a Halo Octopus turn out there that is available at the Innova factory website. Um, and my second tour series disc will be coming out shortly i believe which will once again be a halo roadrunner nice and otb just recently dropped a new hot stamp commemorating um, me and you can find that at otbdiscs.com they also have a few hot stamp stamps uh for my husband jim oates as well mm. very fun well go do that everybody um she says she doesn't always cash, but we, we think it's in her. <laughs> uh, go out and support Juliana. I, I know my kids and I, we have all the JK AVRs under the sun. They're on team in of us, so they get their allotment, and that's a lot of what they order. So we'll I, I appreciate that. that. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, without uh, delaying much longer, we're going to let you go, and we do appreciate very much your time, and we'd love to have you on again someday. So thanks, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Juliana. Right. Bye. And without the music, it's a little weird, but I, I just like, peace. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah. By the way, update to our listeners. 
Philo came on our show last week and we asked how we could support him. And he went off on a little tangent. And then next thing you know, like PayPal and Venmo is coming out of his mouth. And he's like, whoops, like I don't usually do that. Um, but in all seriousness, and I bet you it's more now. He texted me the next morning and he said, 100 bucks made it into his, his uh, digital pocket. So there you go. Okay. Apparently, awesome. we can start paying our guests through our listeners. <laughs> we are we'll not going to do that to you guys. We'll just, yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to ask our listeners. If this is yeah. your favorite guest, go ahead and send money now. So when we were mid-conversation with Juliana, and I feel so bad about it, but I was trying to hit my mute button and type. But <laughs> it apparently, was so loud. <laughs> so I have a loud keyboard. It was given to me. And why pay for a keyboard when... <laughs> A keyboard's given to you, but if I hit my mute button, am I am I not muted? I don't. I muted? It should be. It's, wait, you're not muted now. Try talking. See, am I not muted? You're not muted, dude. Uh, why is it because you're you, not in studio? I don't know why, but mute the physical button on your microphone. That's, Try that's that. what I'm hitting. I'm hitting the. Is it blinking? Button. Yeah, it's blinking at me. Oh well, then you're not using that mic. You're just using your laptop mic. No, I was gonna say it's, you, it's, you did sound different today. I didn't even think about that. Change over your mic. It's gonna sound so nice. I thought Dude, it was echoey. It literally said earlier. I you can change it right now. That's so funny. I was like, oh Nick. My God, I was it like, did. it's. I was like, it sounds echoey. Switched off of it. Oh wow. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. In 44 minutes with that. Dude, that's so friggin' annoying. And people said in the chat earlier, they're like, Nick sounds a little tunnely tonight. And even Matt said it before we started the show. But when I I literally did an update and restarted my computer, oh, I dude, man. I'm so pissed now. Um, Adam I did Hammes, an update. Every time you Adam was ask literally, a question, he's like leaning in so hard. Oh my god, that's so annoying. Wait, so hold on really quick. Oh yeah, you're muted hardcore. Can't hear you. Look at that. <laughs> That's... Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm a freaking amateur. Like... I'm an amateur disc Dude, golfer and I'm a freaking glad... amateur. Uh, okay, so I'm glad now someone like said turn down the game. Am I a little too like... loud now? <laughs> I mean, you're a touch too loud, but yeah. Let me see. I mean, is this you... better? Well, talk. I actually can see. Uh, the, check, the... check, check. One, two, yeah, one, two, fine. check. Yeah, All it's right. fine. Oh, well, guys, I am. Man, I'm so sorry, guys. I started typing on my phone because I was like, maybe it's because Matt's not in studio and the connection's not. Dude, going it was right so way. loud. I think Juliana's like, what's going on? Oh, like, I literally, <laughs> and I don't even remember what I was typing about, but it was just like, yeah, someone just said, Nick, not a computer science major. Absolutely not. Dude, I get onto computers to play video games and answer emails and do a little bit of research and a podcast. I don't know anything. My brother built this computer with me. Yeah, I mean, also, in I 2016. This this triggers a nerve in me. I just have to say, computer science. That's like it uh, feels like a broken no, record, it, but also I think yeah. you know too. But just to say, computer science is more about uh, uh, programming data. software. No, no, no. no. But I, I I get yeah. what they're saying. Just like computer knowledge, so and, oh, like IT crap like that, guys. So like man, IT. I owe all of the chat. I. I, I, just, I, owe I don't all even of know you guys if we can apology. post it. I don't even know if What's we can post it, Nick. I, think I wouldn't post it. it. I, I would just, I would chalk this episode up as a loss. You know, <sighs> Dude, it's done. I, that's I so thought about saying something too, but Matt sounds different just because he's on a different mic and a different system. So like, I yeah. thought it was, maybe it was me. Oh, because no. we're but I had also, so it's I literally, weird. I restarted my program and I plugged in the microphone. I restarted my computer. Everything was plugged in correctly. It literally said Yeti, Yeti. And the only reason I didn't think anything different of it is because everything is still going yep, to my headphones. Yep, yep. So I could hear my, I, when I mute myself, everything obviously goes quiet in my headphones. And so 
I thought I was muting myself. Guys, I'm so sorry. Someone did ask what kind of video games I like to play. Um, <laughs> I was a huge, huge, huge World of Warcraft nerd. Um, for the better part of my middle school and high school life, um, I did not do well in high school grades wise. And I will 100% chocolate up to the second I got home, especially during the wintertime. All I did was play World of Warcraft all Yeah, what, what level was your character? Well, is, so is I used to play during to Wrath of the Lich King. I used to play during Wrath of the Lich King and Cataclysm. So back then it was 80 to 85. And then when Legion came out, I got my Demon Hunter up to, I think it was 90 back then. Uh, but I, I was big into Burning Crusade and Wrath of the Lich King. Like that was prime Nick Carl. All I did was spend my time on World of Warcraft. I was one of the best healers in my realm. Um, Horde all the way, by the way. If you guys are Alliance, we're not friends. I'm Horde. I was a Tauren. I was an Orc Shaman. Anyways. Literally, none of these are making sense to me. That's so, incredible. Yeah. It's great. It's cool, it's cool um, to hear things. But I also, I, and I'm going to get off this because we got to talk about Disc Golf and Intern Ben just joined in. But uh, right now, I like to play Overwatch and I like to play League of Legends. Those are two games that I can just kind of spend 30 minutes to an hour playing and I enjoy mm -hmm. it. But if I want to play a Battle Royale with my buddies, um, we were all huge into Fortnite when that was the really big thing. I love playing Fortnite on the Xbox and then Call of Duty. But other than that, that's, it, that's about it. I still love gaming. Do we even hear Intern Ben? No. Uh, do you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. I hear you oh, now. You I have myself muted. I was just yeah. making sure oh, you it was working. That. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a Nick joke, not a you joke, Ben. No, okay. I, I was here. God, I was I'm so, because okay. I know, I do, I have like, I have a really loud keyboard. It's annoying. And so All I right. feel so bad that people are like, dude, you're typing. It's all right. Like, we talked. Oh. They were loud. They loved yeah. it. But you're a gamer. That's so ben, sick interview ben. with Juliana Corver. By the way, Hannah Macbeth is in the chat right now. Hannah, Juliana shouted you out. I hope you heard it, but. Hey, she I shouted out too, by the way. So, what's Hannah, that? Hannah, listen back to right before the interview and you can hear me shout you out. Okay. What did you say? I forget. Hold on. We're way off this golf. Not liking dominance. <laughs> and I'll, I'm going to channel my inner Hannah McBeth and say, oh, that yes, 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 yes. Watching dominance can be really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a few topics, but I don't want to spend more than like two minutes on any of these. But, Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm okay. here on vacation in the Berkshires. Just way played Stony Kill. So. Way to be slacking in turn, Ben. Way to slack. I know. You're on vacation too. What do you mean? No, I'm not on vacation. I'm double work. I'm double working. I guess some call it double dipping, but I'm like, gotta get ready for my my meeting in the morning. Okay. Um, here's uh, yes or no. Yes or no. I don't want to turn this into a full debate. I'll ask Ben first because he just got here. Okay. Is is Paige Pierce as good as she used to be? And I mean talented throw-wise. Is Paige Pierce as good as she used to be? I think yes. I think right now Paige is just in her head. She sees Kristen Tatar taking like the more conservative routes and beating her. So I think she's trying to encapsulate that and try that style. But I think Paige just needs to be herself. So, and when Paige is herself, I think she can win. But but I guess so. But you think her performance this weekend was as good as she can be? Her performance this week, it was – no. But okay, so I think, that's kind of what I'm asking. Is she okay. performing as good as she used to? And I don't mean – again, not finish-wise. I yeah. mean like skill-wise. Is she performing as good as she used to? Or are we seeing subpar performances for Paige? So what do you think, Evan? 
Well, okay. So the, the question's kind of tough. And I think that's what Ben's uh, struggling with. Cause I kind of struggling with it too. Like week to week, <laughs> week to week, she can be the best that yes. she has been. So like OTB, I think that was like, that's what peak page is. She was peak page for uh, a weekend, but, but, but she we didn't have the field page at Portland. It, she, it, we didn't have Kristen Tatar there. Everyone else was there pretty much. I don't want to hear. Yeah, it. but that matters. That matters though, because you're saying when Paige is playing, her but her best, skills she's were Kristen. there. And I, if the only thing that could have changed that weekend with Kristen being there is mental for Paige. I don't so think Kristen. I don't think Kristen playing how she's been the last month or two would have beaten Paige at OTB. I think the only thing would have been Paige knowing that Kristen was there could have affected her mental. Okay. Well, I, I was just generally thinking if she's playing at her best as good as she used to. Cause I think her best was on display over the past few years. Um, if she's playing at that level, like you think she's doing that now, like she's doing, she's playing that level this year, or do you feel like she's not playing to that level that she used to at times at times? Yeah. At times. yeah. I okay. don't think she's playing to that level at times, I wanna see it. but I think she can. I mean, she's, I, I thought you were saying, is she cable? I thought you were saying, no, is she just done. Is she just done and, and bad? Yeah. Like, no, for, I think she still has it in her, and it's okay. just a matter of yeah, for, unleashing for, it. For the dominance that we've seen from Paige over, let's say, the last seven years, eventually that dominance, dominance is slowly going to drift away. And what is now the new normal look like? Paige picks up three to four wins every single year, and do we chalk that up as a bad season for her? If I mean, Kristen's two, there. If she's Kristen's got two wins there. already. <laughs> Oh, Nick, Nick just chimed out uh, his Wi-Fi. But here's Virginia the deal. Thunderstorm. And I hate to say it, and if Paige is watching Sorry, or I'm just a mess this, tonight. then Paige is going to be like, Matt, come on. But And I, I feel bad, but this is our job. Like, if Kristen's there, then I say awesome on the win. Without Kristen to this point, it's hard to go, yes. Like, you want to see her beat Kristen, and then you feel like the field was there. I know you saved one person. But like a win without her there right now is is just a different thing, and I'll leave it at that. Let's move on. So she she has she has one win with Kristen there, and she has one win without Kristen there. Okay. So, I mean, not she's fifty fifty right now in the tournaments that she's won. I mean, so do we consider it like we're not seeing prime Paige? We're definitely not seeing prime Paige Pierce right now. Paige has been dealing with an injury and then was also dealing with i think personal stuff in her own life where eventually the dominance is going to wear yeah. off i'll just need say, to find what the new normal is and i will say if if Kristen wins without um Paige and katrina and ella uh and valerie mandahan if she wins with some of those players missing i say the same thing i go good job Kristen, but like really like we want to see you win against all the best yeah so um Let's see. Four round events. There's a cut. Short and sweet. Do you like love it? Do, do you, okay, Nick. Absolutely it. love it. It's the best thing in our sport. Okay. Just kidding. It's not the best thing in our sport, but yeah. I, I completely love cuts after three rounds. The best of the best play that fourth and final day. And it's just, it's cool. Hey, Agreed with ben, Nick. No changes. Ben, was the chat telling you you were hissing or something? Because I noticed you muted, which was nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I am just... At, on vacation with like ten of my family members, okay. so I just don't don't want to make sure okay. the the echoes from them. <laughs> Let's make them famous. There. Let's make them famous. Okay. Um. Where's, how about how about this one? Let's go. Where is We're she? Ben's vacation house. Okay. Live. How do you feel? 
about Chris Dickerson this year. You brought him up. He didn't win. He made a post right before the show went live that said something along the lines of he's not happy with the season. Now, it's in Chris Dickerson form. He's not like pounding his fist and like complaining and screaming. It was just like, hey, I'm not happy. Um, Look, but if Chris Dickerson's not happy about his season, then I'm not happy about it. Well, his so season. what do we need to see going forward from Chris to be like, is in all seriousness, we're not saying is he washed up, but what happened? Went from being like literally what you would argue is the best player in the world to now like we don't talk about him very much. He, I mean, how many events realistically has he played so far this year? Uh, he has played six, uh, major elite and silver. Uh, he played, let's go Waco, Austin, music city, interval blue Ridge champions cup, Jonesboro. So what did I say? Six, four elite, one silver, one major. Okay. His like, uh, I'm going to say this one Tennessee state champ state champ. I don't care. Like he can be disappointed that all like, that's like, he can be disappointed. That's, that's Chris Dickerson being disappointed mm -hmm. me uh, analyzing Chris Dickerson season. Do not care. Like you can lose an A tier on your like off week does not matter. Uh, I want to think about pro tour uh, on first thought. It feels like he hasn't been in the mix. We haven't really seen him on lead cards. He's kind of felt like forgotten about when I pull up his uh, results right now. I see like really nothing wrong. Like he's just not it's getting that not next terrible. step. Yeah. His worst finish is 22nd at Waco. Yeah. He has a third place finish at music city, which is kind of like, that's it's the one we weak. thought he was going to win because Tennessee won it in past. Uh, and he kind of fell off to then squeeze back into third. Yeah. Simon stole the show, but three, uh, two top tens and four top or five top twenties and 22nd being your, like, nah, that's like, he is good. He is still, I would argue that's a, towards the back end of top 10 players season right there. We, okay. I think have so much biasness towards what people do in 2023 that we are just so expectant, expectant of them to do the same. In, no, this me, is in 2022 coming, to do the same in 2023. Like this Dickerson is coming won, from him. What a uh, silver series event and then one champions cup. And then won another silver series event, excuse me. Gosh, I'm like fumbling my words right now. But at the same time, Chris Dickerson lost Music City Open by two strokes. Okay, not the worst thing in the world. Third place at an Elite Series event. Got 11th place at PDGA Champions Cup, the major that he did win the year prior in the inaugural event for it, but still got a top 15, top 20, whatever you want to call it, at a major. I mean, he's having an okay year in the sense of he can be disappointed about it. And I think most people, unless you're having a kick-ass season – most players in the world are going to say, yeah, I'm having a poor season. Look, I'm not even playing anything big this year, and I am having a poor season. I can think about that. Now, people may say, oh, but you have a couple wins. And it's like, yeah, I know, but I also have some really inconsistent finishes this year. I am not happy with it. So every single player is going to say that. But when you actually look at the stats, he's not having that bad of a year. If you look at it, he's probably not doing too bad in the Pro Tour rankings right now either. Maybe. Well, yeah, no, that's a f all of those are fair points, everybody. I think those are all fair points. I just read, and th this wasn't me saying he's having a bad year. This was for topic discussion. He's the one who said he's having a year that's underperforming yeah. what he wants. And I, I think you're right. Most players probably would say that, but yeah, I don't know. Last year, I don't think Gannon would have said that he was underperforming. I mean, uh, I don't think, you know, there's a handful of players, but unless you're at the top, top, which is where he was. That's why this question came up, because that's where he was. He was winning or play, placing podium yeah. at almost everything. 2021, the, Adam Hammes had a great season. There, 2022, yeah, yeah. Adam Hammes did not have a good season. Yeah. 2023 has now won an Elite Plus event. 
will say no matter what that hey that was a damn good season even if that's the only win he gets this year if he cashes at the rest of the events gets top 20 in all the rest of the events adam hammes for who he is as a player and how we kind of view adam hammes that's a badass season for him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right this one is I was going to have it as a topic, but with Adam Hammes saying what he said, he he has way more authority on this than us. We are a talk show, but should there be standardized baskets, or at least at the very least, should some not be on tour? That's his opinion. I think we all probably agree that that'd be great. There was discussion about the pro tour doing that at some point, like making their own basket. The Page PDG, alluded to that. Who yeah. Knows what, who knows whatever happened with that? But. That's it's going to be a while out. Uh, the PDJ has rules for baskets, but we would like to see there be a basket just like they do with other sports. Um, I, I, I need ahead. to say something. Say this. something. Just real quick. I, I'm sick of the complaining of baskets. Like, do yeah, you I think Aaron Gossage, Evan, you are one of the most complainer I, people about courses. I, you, yeah. Hold on. Yes. He you're going to complain that. about people complaining about baskets right yes. now. Do you and think hole 16? Do you think hole 16? That was Aaron Gossage's fault. I'm going to deflect until I'm finished. All right. I think that I wish there was a standardized basket. I wish baskets caught more and there are baskets that are better than others. Uh, and people have different opinions on which baskets are better than others. But I think as a player, it is important to know what basket you're playing on and where is a good place to hit for that basket, what that basket's going to do. I, I, as an amateur, who's not very good, know that some baskets, I used to be a really soft nose down putter. And I knew if I landed bottom left, on certain baskets it just would be too soft and bounce right out even though it was going to land in the bucket i knew it was going to and i like i could complain about that basket all i want but i i learned that that's what that basket does i can't hit it there i need to hit it strong side and i need or hit it faster i need to do all these different things i think players need to accept that that different baskets have different strong suits and different let's say uh error spots that you cannot do and i think what aaron gossage did is an error spot of what you cannot do which is a nose down putt that's really fast and hits left side he hit the pole, Adam, and it, that was Adam, not even nearly as hard as how Aaron. Put, Aaron was putting from fifteen feet. Didn't even in. didn't even come down his full stroke. Literally just <laughs> flipped it on in there. I still want standardized baskets, though. Hold on, I want Adam, one basket all season. Adam Hammes, yeah, Adam Hammes said that shouldn't have happened. But here's here's it shouldn't have happened. But you need to know what basket it is. Okay, <laughs> that's here's, my point. Okay, but here's my point counterpoint. Because I actually agree 100% with what you're saying. I've said the same thing. When people complain about it spitting out or something else, I always go, I guess I have a one up on you because I play this basket different than I play other baskets. Like you got to modify your game. I agree with that 100%, million percent, whatever. But I think where he hit on that basket, had he done that 20 times in practice, it would have stuck. And that's not, there's no way he could have learned from that. Like he couldn't. He would have learned doing that putt 20 times that I can't do that. I don't think so. I think that was like an anomaly coming out on that basket in I, that in the way the where he hit it. That's it's all also hard to putt. Like, I don't think he was off by much for that basket. What is considered off. Yeah. I know that's a, a lot of words to say. I'm glad uh, you're disagreeing. You just, yeah. Sometimes you're just you putts, putting is hard and sometimes you hit yep. the spot you're, you shouldn't hit on some okay. baskets that should still go in. in general. I, I'd, I'd be curious to ask Aaron and say hey man were you aiming for that spot were you aiming <laughs> i don't know were you I aiming for the pole don't know if Aaron i'm just Gossage curious Aaron, were you aiming anyways, dead so. center of the basket you know okay just wonder 
uh, everybody, send your condolences. I mean, congratulations to Evan. He's getting married next week. Um, so that's happening. I think we're a week out. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. So anyways, Evan won't be here next week, I think. <laughs> I, I would hope not. And I think, yeah, if you are, there's something that went horribly wrong. And like, <laughs> we're not, we're not even good friends. We're like, let's just do a show. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Okay. And, the, and then the What's next our week, next <laughs> hold on. Then the next week he's gone. And I'm bringing this up because two weeks from that, like we'll talk about it, but like, I'll be gone as well. I don't think intern Ben and Nick are going to hold down the show. Maybe I'll leave that up to them. But Maybe we'll I'll get hold the right down. guess and we'll just have a bunch of people. <laughs> okay. Who knows? We'll have a party show. We'll figure Let us know, chat. Out. It's right, a few I, weeks I out. know it's getting late, but, but I brought a segment or a topic to this. Can we talk about this real quick? In this as long minute? as I get to say something right beforehand. <laughs> Every single basket out on the tour right now is going to spit out. And you can create a standard basket and we are still going to see spit outs. Agree to agree on that. I'm just going <laughs> to end it there. Evan, take it away. All right. It's an either or. Do, would you, If you were designing a course, we're going to say on a, a active ball golf course, like we saw at Glendovere and we see you know, often through the Pro Tour, if you had to choose either side to use very often, what would you rather do? Mandos everywhere. We saw a lot of uh, Mandos at Glendevere. You got Mandos in every hole, maybe multiple. Or would you rather see a lot of string doby to make uh, tight shots? I mean, I know we see it at USDGC, which is not an active ball golf course, but that idea there or other courses of such. Uh, personally, I think, I mean, really, it's all dependent on the actual property in and of itself. But I would rather see Mandos than string doby artificial ob i would love for the sport to slowly move away from that and i would rather people kind of have to play the course how the course is designed um obviously you see in golf a few times players do try to hit that reachable par four maybe they have to hit it over the trees it doesn't i feel like happen nearly as much majority of the time in golf players are trying to play the middle of the fairway because that is the easiest place to hit the golf ball for your second or third shot whatever in disc golf we have a little bit more of an advantage of our footing usually isn't as bad and the way that you throw a disc completely different than hitting a ball but i would like to see courses designed and then players playing how that course was trying to be specifically designed so for me personally i actually thought mandos are or think mandos are usually a pretty cool thing you can obviously set up really bad mandos don't get me wrong but done correctly i think that's how i would rather view and watch a tournament i'm gonna let intern ben answer this one too but i feel like we had this conversation i don't know a month ago four episodes ago where we were like i i was kind of joking but i'm like why don't we just build like pavilions that you have to throw out of which would eliminate you know spike hyzers like you had to throw lower lines and it was kind of the point was to force certain shots to make these courses play better. I think it's funny that we're that we're now kind of saying, yeah, let's put up mandos everywhere. But I think the question as it was posed is like, which would you rather? And I think I agree. I would rather force a certain shot than have this rope everywhere around the basket. Because I think if you can force the shot, I don't care where it really lands because you had to throw the same shot. So I, I agree with Nick on this one. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think I, th I do think Mandos over OB, but I think tasteful Mandos. I don't want to see just Mandos just, just to be there just because. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, just recycling what I was saying, shaving shots, 
there might be an easy hyzer to the right, but the Mando makes you go left. I think that's that's brilliant and can really right now everyone's talking about how they can make the game harder. That seems to be the biggest discussion amongst the pros, how they can make it harder. And I think Mando's is a step in the right direction, other than I, I don't know, artificial B is okay, but I'm just not the biggest fan of it. I'd rather see Mando's if possible, over artificial be. But if they're both incorporated properly, I don't have a problem with both. Mm. We gotta get uh we gotta get Simon on to talk about his hot takes that <laughs> did you guys see the photoshopped one or maybe it was a real hot take where he was talking about how the sport needs more like hippies and music <laughs> on cards and stuff like that. I'm assuming I have no someone clue photos what to think about any of that, yeah. Yeah, because I think someone photoshopped one of it and it got blasted everywhere. But um <laughs> Yeah, we definitely got to get Simon on for a couple minutes, kind of talking about his hot takes that he had uh, standstill areas. And well, we actually that, we we jazz. talked. Wasn't that my yeah. idea? And he Hold didn't on. like it. I we, he he might yes. not have said in his post about standstill areas. Someone else okay. might have said it. But our right, most right. yeah. Hold on, our most not my idea, but I think I said it on that. Show. Our reel on Instagram, the most viewed reel that we've ever had on Instagram. Thank you for all of you. I think it's like sixty thousand unique users on instagram have watched it they love it it's him on our show talking about that like i think it's interesting we'll see where it goes from here in the future we're running kind of late here um but is there anything i'm missing i just heard I, someone take a breath i want i wanted to round out the manda talk i didn't expect you guys all to agree with me i did think oh. people were oh wow i i, I was i was you I thought know. people would like artificial OP? Person, Evan? Like, no do i thought you, someone would have, have liked mandos less uh but like ben said it's tasteful mandos uh i i just want to like say i think glenovir did mandos fantastically i thought one they were very clear even on tv i could tell what it was and you want the players to first uh understand where their mandos are and which way to play i watching it could easily tell where they're supposed to throw i thought that was very good and i you could see that where they put them you could easily have gone a hyzer wide on either side if you would rather but because they put it there you had to go let's say up the gut but they also had a different style which is more of like a par four mando to kind of ease the fairway a certain way when you're on these golf fairways i thought it was so well done uh i I just really, really enjoyed the thought process that went into having these bandos. Of course, they also had lined OB as well, played in on the final 18 hole a lot, but they had it throughout the course as well. But none of those felt really intrusive. It felt like the players were really staying away from it for the most part. And the mandos, it like, do we have a missed mando on coverage? I don't think we did, which is a really good thing. I don't want to see missed mandos. I just want mandos there to tell the players, hey, this is where you should play. It shouldn't be a, oh, let me barely get it around and test my luck. And I thought it was really well done. I was a big fan. I liked it a lot. I think this Glenn, I'm going to go on. I really like Swenson Park too at OTB Open. I think that's a really good ball golf course. I want to give credit there. But I do think Glendover is the best active ball golf course we see on tour. Of course, active, uh, excluding, you know, Milo or Preserve uh, in those. Not hot enough take. Not yeah. hot enough. I, that, that's pretty I'm standard. Sure, I'm I think sure a lot someone, of people I don't, agree I don't know if we saw a Miss Mando on coverage, but I'm sure someone over the course of the weekend did miss a Mando. But I understand yeah. and agree with what Evan is saying. Like one of the examples that I have kind of off the top of my head is hole 12 at Waco. So right before you get back out into the open, it's a long winding par four that slowly bends to the right the whole time. There is a Mando on the right-hand side so that off the tee pad, you can't just throw it into the parking lot. 
and then try to Heiser into the woods and get to the basket that way. You have to play the fairway. Yes, I think those no are one fantastic. in the right mind. No one is going to miss that Mando when you actually have to play the fairway and throw the shot that the hole is calling for. No one's ever going to miss that Mando. But the fact that it's there and people don't even know that it's there, like spectators and maybe fans who are watching it don't know that it's there. But it forces the players to play a certain way, which, you know, I think that is the whole reasoning, you know, designing a course. You want people to play it the way that it's supposed to be designed. I remember when Portland Open first became a thing, I think they had some uh, T-pad issues and I think bad inclement weather that created to where they could tee off from, you know, a couple feet off the sides of the T-pads and it completely changed the course from what I heard. So, I don't know. Just yes, I remember like that. that. All right. So, I have okay. a hot take. I'm bringing the hot take. <laughs> Do it. All right. This is the hot take. I don't think... As a fan, I'm not a pro, obviously. As a fan, I don't think limiting pros and their abilities is the right direction. I think, as in like forehand only, backhand only, standstill only, that type of thing. I think the whoever is playing the best that weekend and shooting the best with their full ability, their full potential should win. I, I just don't personally like the idea a forehand so, only, backhand So we should get rid of the circle only. rule too, where you can't step putt inside the circle. We should also get rid of the tee pad rule that means you have to be standing on the tee pad. Don't take no, it that you, that's far, Evan. The, dude, what? <laughs> you know that's what I'm talking about. Okay, that second one was a little I, hard. I'll say, the I'll, I'll rule, say this. Think, the circle rule, I think, is valid too as a counterpoint to that. No. The circle is great. Ben is talking about things that aren't in our sport yet. Ben, I'll say this. I don't think we are ever going to get to a point in our sport where you have to stand still in a certain area. I, I don't think we will yeah, ever get Simon's to a point where mostly. you will have to backhand a forehand. I actually think those are garbage ideas, especially <laughs> you have to forehand here. You have to backhand here. I, I, agree. I, I don't think those are good ideas. Thanks. So I don't think we'll ever get to that point. But I will say this. The circle rule, Evan, I mean, if – Right now, I think players have an advantage. If you can jump putt or step putt, I think you have an advantage in circle two and let's say circle three up to a certain amount being able to jump putt and step putt. People who haven't learned that putting style yet, I think are at a slight disadvantage. Now there are the rare commodities like the Isaac Robinsons who just flick at the wrist all of a sudden Calvin Heinberg, Eagle, Simon, they can do that extremely well. But let's let's take disc golf to a local level really quick i think being able to step putt and jump putt in circle two has made me a better player and better putter because i can do that and because i practice that i feel like i'm better at that than a lot of other local people if they ever take that away great then i'll just learn how to stand still putt from 50 feet oh right now, snap I feel like I don't have to <clears throat> hannah you know? hannah bringing the the balance you know evan you said that earlier you actually mentioned this she said some people think of it as limiting skills and abilities others think of it as highlighting specific skills let's and go abilities over that's others. what i'm thinking <laughs> well i love it i love it okay I'm, she I'm, also in my asked point... if she could do stats at your wedding so <laughs> yeah, you didn't no. see that but uh sorry hannah. <laughs> um but yeah, Ben, I wasn't trying to disregard your point with it. And, and forehand, hey, backhand, I wasn't that's even mentioning silly. circles. That, that came out of I, left field. No, because what I'm going to say is it's it's very <laughs> different than forehand, backhand. But you mentioned standstills, which I am very much a proponent for, if that's the right word, way to say it. You're I really want to see I really want to see standstills more often. I like the standstill area or every shot off the tee. I think that's great. I I would like to see circle rules expanded more. I've mentioned, you know, maybe a uh, 
parallel line you can't cross even before you release. There, there's all these different things you go for it. So when you have a circle rule, I think that blends similarly, similarly, uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to a standstill rule. Backhand, okay. forehand, so every, every, abilities, everything I fully within agree three. With you, Everything within 325 feet of the hole, you have to stand still. I don't no, like that no, necessarily. But, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. You like a specific area. So if I'm playing a par five, hole like seven a hazard Fox area, run, okay. or I, I prefer anything off the tee pad, you have to be standstill. But I, I think we've said it. I've said it up. Oh, dude, that's just too much. All right. I, much. I, I, would too much, I, I would be on board with par fives being the only holes that have standstill areas, meaning like if you don't make it certain distance, or whatever. Okay. That topic, it, there is one more that a user, a user, <laughs> a username, uh, a fan, a listener submitted. And it's kind of not disc golf related, but it's infiltrated in the disc golf because we have names that are more popular now. Thank Paul Macbeth, Ricky, Brody, go down the list, FPO, right? Kristen Tatar, Paige Pierce. Um, social media user followings, right? We see it in the pro, this pro scene a lot. We see it with music artists a lot. If they can rally their fan base towards one of their viewpoints, and it's not the full story, it's just a portion of it. Like, hey, I'm upset at this person. Go boycott them, right? Um, or I did this and it worked out that that actually wasn't the full story. And after I made that post, I learned more information that says I was off a little bit. I guess where I'm going with this is as the sport continues to grow and these players are making posts and they're saying things, are they, do they, how do I say this? What responsibility do they have to their follower, their fan bases? Is this something that they should look up to some other sport? Um, or is it just something that's just going to be what it's going to be? Like, does anybody have any thoughts about this? Like, uh, when someone makes a post, and I'm not going to put any specific specific I, details. I'll put the specific here. names on right, if you want me to. Are Dude. we talking about Maria and Brody on Twitter this week? I, I'm not was, saying. I think I'm not that's saying what Matt was going. I think for. I think everyone, you know, especially post audio listeners, with people in the chat right now are already bringing it up. But yes, I I generally think what Matt is talking about is the Brody and Maria situation now. To be clear, saw, I'm not. To be clear, I actually wasn't. But that's a that is a point. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But but that well, but but to be fair, like that is a somewhat of a point yeah. that relates to this. Well, what's the I responsibility think, level? I'm not saying who's at fault either. But yeah, I'm just saying, I, I like, think what's the responsibility? Taking, taking Brody and Maria out of the situation in general and talking about their fandoms, you could see it from both sides that Brody's fans said one thing, Maria's fans said another thing. You know oh brody got owned or oh maria was being rude and each fan side kind of stuck to their guns and said what they said kind of in protecting of the person that they are a fan of i think when it gets to a point of if you are this person let's say matt and i tweeted something i tweeted something at matt matt publicly blasted me about that tweet and now the matt fans are going at me the nick fans are going at matt when both of us see that hey, this is becoming a little bit toxic. Yeah, I think it gets to a point where it's like, hey, guys, calm down. This really isn't that big of a deal. And I, before you go, Matt, I will say this. In the video gaming world, and I see it a lot with Twitch streamers, YouTube streamers, you know, whatever, they all have their kind of cult followings. And when someone does something on someone else's stream, all of a sudden you got all the Nick Merckx people going at the Tim the Tapman people, even though they don't because they're all really good friends. But... um. 
and then it gets to a point where those two people will say like, Hey guys, take it easy. Like we don't need death threats. We don't need like name calling. We don't got to talk about politics. We don't have to go at people's families, you know? Yeah. So a lot of what you just said is, is a great response and take on, on the question, the way I posed it. Cause I was kind of being vague. Um, I guess what I'd say is take what you just said and let's say more information. Let's okay. So let's take the Brody and, and Maria situation because <laughs> now we're talking about it. Let's say behind the scenes they chatted and they kind of like were like, oh wow, I misunderstood you or this or that, right? And now none of them come out and say anything about like, oh, we misunderstood each other. Here's what it is. Like now the fan base is just left thinking whatever the last thing was that was posted about it. Let's go like Paul and Brody, not to rehash all of that from the years past. Mm -hmm. But like if there was something that happened behind the scenes there, they have no obligation to say like, hey, guys, we made up. But like, I think this is the question. Like, would it be beneficial to the fan bases if they were like, oh, yeah, like six months ago, we actually like made up, totally apologized about everything, right? Like, Where's the responsibility lie for these players now? If they drop, I'm going to say they drop a bomb and then they find out new information. Is it their responsibility to go back and fix it? You could say that you could say it's their responsibility, <laughs> but will that player actually do it? And I'm speaking of any player in the world, yeah. any professional athlete, you can say, yes, it is their yeah. responsibility. But I mean, look at if you watch the last dance with Michael Jordan, Way back in the day when Michael Jordan was younger, living in North Carolina, or you know when he was a part of North Carolina culture, there was a uh, Democratic senator trying to run for office, and he was an African-American, and everyone was saying how Michael Jordan should represent him. Michael Jordan said, well, Republicans buy sneakers too. And that was kind of one of those oh. things where it was, you know, and Michael Jordan says in the show that he didn't mean it in the sense of like, he was just saying it as, you know, everyone buys shoes. So it's not really his stance to make a political stance i guess it's not really his place to make a political stance but in a sense he does have a responsibility a lot of these people a lot of their fans will listen to what they say you know if ben goes on and says like hey man i'm i'm ben from the nick and Macho. i'm intern ben these are the bait lures that i use in my fishing when i'm on vacation people are going to say like oh ben's talking about it i like ben i'm going to go and buy those lures because of ben saying that so, yes, you have a responsibility. Does every player uphold that responsibility? Absolutely not. And I guess I'll say this because everyone else is kind of tongue-tied on it because it's an interesting subject for sure. And I probably wouldn't have brought it up except that it was recommended to me from somebody that I value their opinion. They wanted to hear what our thoughts were on it. Um, I think it's interesting because these are players who, and this is true for a lot of celebrity, right? But, like, a lot of celebrity goes from like almost non-existent to like super celebrity. Like, I mean, I guess look at Taylor Swift now, right? Like she grew up not celebrity and now she's really in it. I'm sure she has a lot of PR people. I'm sure she really has an understanding, coaching, all that stuff. But we have disc golfers right now who that's not our scene. Like, and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Do they need PR managers? Like are people filtering what Ricky posts, what Paul okay, posts? So like PR managers. That? PR managers look at the whole Gannon Burr situation. Gannon Burr, we can say potentially that prematurely made a video about him leaving Prodigy. And then Prodigy goes at Gannon Burr. And what does everyone do? Every fan of Gannon Burr 
is like, oh my God, Prodigy, you guys are the worst. You're a horrible company. How could you sue this kid? You know, that's just the worst thing that you could possibly do. Gannon ends up saying a few months later, hey, by the way, I'm sticking it out of Prodigy for the rest of the year. Now those people are probably back to supporting Prodigy and supporting Gannon. They are still probably buying Gannon discs because Gannon is still supporting with them for the 2023 season. That's so, another good point. Another good point. responsibility, huge impact. I mean, Gannon's one of the young. Oh, there goes Nick Uh-oh. again. So I think there needs to be a pro school, not how to throw a disc, but like how to be like this professional. It's every time I get on a good tangent or, too. It's, it's a professional or celebrity school. Like we need to find someone who could teach that. Yeah. I mean, does disc golf need it? I don't no, think it needs the it's right part word, of life. It's part of like, life. I could see a future where like manufacturers would be like, Hey, we want you to do all this. So you represent us well, but like at the same part, like I, like I'll say for Maria Oliva specifically, like, I don't think, I, I don't think any of her manufacturers, any of her sponsors were like, Hey, could you actually go and delete that post? Cause we didn't like what you said. Like, I don't, I don't think that's the scenario here. And I don't think Discraft would tell Brody not to, uh, if he had any responses, I honestly don't even know what came from it. I, I don't think either side would be like, Hey, like, don't do that. Uh, there, there is a time and a place where that may happen, but I don't think this is, is that it's more, I think what your initial thought was more about like having, you could have, let's say rabid fans who go after after um the other person and you know i don't think maybe there was i really really hope not but like if there was death threats like you you don't want that to happen but if people are just gonna be generally a fan and be like i'm team brody no i'm team maria like there's not really a harm in that uh from a a generic sense but if people are sending personal dms to the other person like you're so terrible for saying that or doing that or or whatever how you acted like you can easily really quickly cross a line and it's hard to say that it's that person's responsibility because I think a lot of the world would say no, like it's not, but I, I would, I would hope that if Brody or Marie, Maria saw that their fans were going too far, that they would say something about it. I don't know if it happened here. It, disc golf is still pretty small and, and our drama is pretty lighthearted. You know, yeah. we don't have, we don't have our superstars flashing guns. That, and Instagram that, That's stories, what I wanted to like the uh, NBA does. highlight. That's what I was going to say. Like, I think right now in disc golf, you know, the phrase, all press is good press. I think some people are just saying whatever just to get the press. I mean, look at what we're talking about right now in disc golf. Like the, the we small... Say that every single time, all press is good press because we're talking about it. And it's just funny how <laughs> that works. But every single time, it's like, yeah, all press is good to press. Look at it. We're talking about it right now. So, anyway, But I'm just saying, like, the house, like in, in, in the grand scheme of life, how small this drama is in disc golf, it's huge. Like, this is like the main highlight thing i've heard it on a couple of podcasts already i'm just saying i think right now in disc golf uh people are just saying whatever just to like you know maybe maybe get the clicks what what would the implications have been had we tried and, and secured maria oliva for an interview tonight like would the disc golf world have caused drama over the fact that we did that probably and we'd be like well if our fan base was like out like bashing on let's say foundations grip locked or whoever the interview podcast is they're like oh nick and matt is awesome foundation is horrible because they were able to get maria you know like yeah. i i would probably go out of my way to say this is this is kind of the point i would go out of my way to say that's not what this was about like we no. we try to secure interviews just the way everybody else does like we want to ask the questions just like everybody else does mm-hmm. and i guess that's kind of goes back to the root of the question which is like 
what's the responsibility? Because we could, in that scenario, just step back as the Nick and Mac show and be like, watch this. Like, wow. Like, we knew it would get some drama, and it is. And we're doing nothing about it. You know, like, what's the right play? And that's kind of where it's like, well, I think it comes down to the individual. I think it comes down to their... Uh, what they know about the situation, what they want people to know about the situation. It's, it's, it's too hard to really manage. I think it's case yeah. by case, each person, but yeah. I, I think people just need to do uh, the best job to yeah. not cause division. That's all I'll say. There's yeah, there's plenty of scenarios that we could harp on with that. Uh, whether it's the situation that we're talking about between Maria and Brody. I mean, you can even look back at the Kristen and page or excuse me, the Kristen and Lane King situation that happened last year. You can look back in 2021 with Paige Pierce and us, WDGC and how the courses were kind of shoddy. Everyone kind of went against the PDGA in that scenario. And then since then, it seems like the courses, well, last year, the one year that it's been since then, uh, has been better. So, yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is if, if a situation is to arise and uh, let's say it's a big one. Let's say I went out and said something and all of a sudden my Nick and Macho fans are now attacking Matt because of something that I said. As long as you feel like the responsibility that we're talking about is pretty much taking accountability and ownership saying, you know, hey, guys, don't do this. Don't just ghost out of the situation and do what Matt was just talking about, like sit back and just kind of let the snowball effect happen. It's more still be involved with it, try to make amends to the situation. And I think the Brody and Maria situation, I think, blew up a lot more than it should have. I thought it was a funny response from Maria. But at the same time, from what I've read with Brody, said that he messaged her on Instagram and then tweeted at her. I mean, look, we message people every single week to come on the show. If we don't have their number, we're messaging from Instagram. We've messaged from Twitter. Today, I messaged Juliana from Facebook and said, hey, we'd love to have you on the show. This is just how we have to do that whether we've met everyone on tour or not, but at the same time, it, you know, it was a by, fun read. By the way, Juliana sent a text message that said, thanks for including me tonight. So there's a positive. She uh, was awesome. <laughs> and I um, feel horrible. Bad Mike. I'm <laughs> typing while well. I'm, I'm literally, I'm the worst right. person. I'm as we close myself. this out, I'm taking as next we, week off. As we close this out, intern Ben will appreciate this the most. I think Ben, you know how before every episode we're like, Nick, which microphone you have on? Check it, tap it. You know, like we do that. I always do that with you. We always do that, Ben. And then this week I'm in a hotel room. And I have on, you know, not the same setup as usual. So I say, Nick, you sound funny, man. Like this is different being in a hotel compared to being in studio. So I don't even say, hey, double check your mic. And he goes more than three quarters of the episode just rambling in his gym locker room. <laughs> the gym locker room. I love what the chat goes crazy. About. The gym locker room, at? the baseball stadium bathroom. <laughs> it's, it's, so yeah, it's just a basement. I, people are so concerned about my background. It's funny. Dude, I love the inside jokes we have on the show. Yeah. Like the Gannon Burr and the Gym Locker Burrs. I actually didn't them. even know about the gym locker room one. That caught me by surprise, but that's <laughs> yeah. cool. I'm you glad have to read I'm the included. Chat. You don't read I, the I, yeah. included. This is just I, the roast Nick Carl I read the episode, chat like over half fault. the episodes, but this one I don't. I'm sorry. I was I had too many oh, things going on. Who fun? Mid show stuff. Hey, okay. well, uh, really, really quick, long episode. Really long episode, but we can end it literally in the next three minutes, and I can tell you how. We're all going to take ten seconds, and I'm going to give you thirty seconds to think about it. We have a Silver Series event happening, the Silver Zootown Open presented by Inc. Realty Group, driven by Innova. Make your picks right now. 
Zalyn Blanchard. Oh, that's, that's a I say great that, pick. I, that's not my real pick, but no, I, I, I saw him on the. I'm just sorting by rating. I'm like, ooh, yeah. sneaky. Uh, Stud, he's Stud an Idaho player. guy. Yeah, Idaho. He's guy. Idaho. We're in Montana. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the a legend out there. Yeah. I, I uh, let me just go for it. I'm just gonna roll it off the tongue. I, uh, I'm gonna go off of the only other mountain tournament we've really seen on tour, which was a match play tournament, but seeing anthony barella shine out there i kind of want to go ab it doesn't yes, make any sense that's exactly what i'm doing or maybe not sorry not that it doesn't make any sense of course it can make sense uh he can win anywhere but i i don't know i'm just feeling it uh i'm going kt for both christmas star both fence are we talking about ddo too because i already got those locked are we just doing silver i'll be gone no we'll just do the silver DDO. one we'll just do the All silver right, aaron one gossage wins ddo boom all right i'm done I, wow. I know I know you Big said we we're just doing Big silver, time. but I'll be Anyways, going until DDO right. have to My say silver it. picks, Anthony Barella, Chris and Tatar. Matt? Matt, you're muted. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he talking? I thought he was having a stroke. I was getting yeah. worried. <laughs> uh, I would be remiss. I'd be remiss not to pick uh Kristen from here on out. Uh so I'm gonna have to do it. I I've learned my lesson a few times. I just always think the other player can win that. And then this is kind of like, I've been picking uh, Anthony cause I feel like it's in him to do it. it that's what I even told this him. This is earlier. the week of Anthony. But, okay, I'm changing my pick. If I'm all not, no, 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 I'm not. No. I feel like I'm probably off with this. And so you should never p- pick it if you think you're off, but Isaac Robinson, I think it's another one. Do he pick. just another great performance out of him. So that's who I'm picking. You're up Ben. I'm going to go... Wait, Matt. Been, oh, did you say Kristen for FPO? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, he's been trending upwards. I like the chances. I I don't know what the Zutan Open looks like, but he's been trending upwards. I'm going to go Ezra Aderhold. I think... That's a good one. Thinks he's he's got it. I think he's got it in, Matt. What was that look? Huh? No, I'm kidding. Know. I don't think so. <laughs> it's a big fluke. No. <laughs> so I just like pick, picking... Uh, I guess underdogs that'll win. It's my favorite activity. I just listened right, to was your FBO. I said everyone gets ten seconds. Pick an underdog. Man, you're at like forty-five. Oh, um, no, Tatar. Cat, wait, cat merch. Yeah, she's, she's there. <laughs> yeah, she what? Is. Yes, we, we said the Dude. same thing at the same time. Sayananda. I, I, maybe I should have picked her for more points or something, but I'll stick Not with this. Bad idea. Um. <clears throat> anyways, all right. Cue fake piano music. Matt, yeah, you get to, we get to end it. Yeah, I don't have fake piano music, so okay. I'm sitting in a Cue hotel. Cue the fake piano music, everybody. Think about it in your head, the awesome outro that we have. But everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight. Once again, I'm going to profusely apologize for the bad mic and the typing mid-show. I thought I was muted. Didn't know my mic was bad. I'll be better next time. But I appreciate everyone tuning in tonight. This feels so weird doing it without the music right now. Don't forget to like the video, comment, subscribe. Check out all those really cool things. Uh, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. All right. It is weird. I'm in a hotel by myself. You guys, we're all remote. We can take the show on the road. Apparently we can do it now. That's pretty cool. Nick, you're awesome. Ben, you're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. Evan, this is sayonara. This is the last week of you single, my man. I can't wait to see you at your wedding. Uh, We'll have a great time, everybody. Until next time, peace out. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.